VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, no Patty today. It's Tim Powers. I'm here with you through until uh, and including, that will be through until with you, Tuesday. Patty will be back after that. Well, hopefully there's a regatta on Wednesday, so everybody will be listening to the coverage of the races. But happy to be with you here again today. Uh, It is, can you believe this? I was thinking about this this morning. It's the last weekend of July already. Where has the summer gone? It seemed like like it was only just yesterday that it was uh, was the end of school and boy July has just flown by um, halfway almost halfway through the, the summer of course Labor Day is coming a little bit later this year so still five or six weeks to go but wow maybe it's the uh, end of the pandemic the true end of the pandemic and it seems like this summer unlike last summer where people were kind of edging back to normal everybody's jumped fully back in and you heard that great story earlier of, of the soccer tournament, for example, that's happening in paradise and wax of teams and parents and kids going to be there. That's great. I think we're not used to after a few summers of and albeit it was different uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador because all of your activities weren't restricted. Um, but I don't think we're used to the pace or I'm certainly not of everything back on full throttle. But uh, it's great to see so many smiling paces faces and paces people happy and excited um but boy i wish we could slow things down a little bit summer don't run away from us just speaking of that i found this really interesting and here's the sports section for the beginning of the show so in the globe mail this morning uh which of course you can't buy in paper form in newfoundland and labrador just about anywhere anymore but that uh, that gripe aside there's a headline that says soccer most popular sport among among Canadian kids post-pandemic study shows. Um, So this study was done by a group called the Solutions Research Group. They did it in January of this year. They did detailed interviews in English and French with uh, nearly 3,000 kids in the age group of 3 to 17. Uh, And they found that 16% of all Canadian youth between the ages of 3 and 17 participated in organized soccer, uh, or approximately 1 million, 1 million of 6.1 million children in the country. Fascinating. It goes on to say swimming was the second most popular, followed by hockey. Uh, It also said in the study, and this gives me um, great pleasure and delight, that 67% of children are getting active. uh, And they assume that's in response to COVID. When they did the study in 2014, it was only 60% of of kids that were uh, getting active. Two big observations. One, Great to see activity levels up. Uh, if we know anything about health and wellness, and there's so many calls in this program, as there should be, about the struggles people have with health and wellness, the more preventative work you can do, uh, including having kids in sport, helps. Second, hockey. A really interesting um, statement about hockey. Uh, and part of some of the challenges uh, Hockey Canada has had 
uh, hockey, is it becoming more difficult to access? I had a great conversation yesterday with a gentleman who's been in Canadian sports, global sports for years, and he was making that point. He said, look, um, as wonderful as hockey is, and I love hockey, he loves hockey. Uh, my friend is now the president of Hockey Canada, Kathy Henderson. She's been on this program before. She will be a great leader for that organization. Um, the, all of those things aside, it's more expensive. It's uh, There aren't necessarily the arena spaces that there once were, or the outdoor arena spaces in, in different parts of the country. Hockey has to be a little bit concerned, I think, um, about the fact they're, they're falling uh, in the third. Now, they may have been there before. That isn't revealed in the data. But I'm just using the knowledge I have, which admittedly is limited to strike an opinion on that. But if you have an opinion on that, and if your kids are playing soccer, let's uh, let's have a chat about that. Another quick athletic shout out. This time to my cousin or my niece Sarah, who I call Jiggy, who our family calls Jiggy. Super proud of her. She is part of the Youth Commonwealth Games team, uh, the Rugby Sevens. No shock there, I'm sure to many of you that uh, she's followed in the family line of rugby that's heading to Trinidad and Tobago next week. Their camp begins this week in Ontario to compete in the Youth Commonwealth Games. They've got a real shot at a medal. Uh, these, uh, these games will be streamed live. I'll probably share that information next week when I know that information. Go, Jiggy, go. And the last sports note, and this is more a, a pop at uh, Brian and, uh, and my friend Joe Gibbons at the Telegram. Hey, lads, what do you think? The senator signed Vladimir Tarasenko, he can put pucks in the net more reliably than Debrinkit. Watch out, Leafs. Oh, yeah. Do we really have to watch out for the Leafs? Sorry, Ben. They fail anyway. There. That's your quick sports roundup for this morning. In other news, uh, things to talk about. Um, did you see yesterday the Equinor CFO? And a call with investors says he does believe the Beta Nord project will happen. Uh, that, for many, uh, me included, I believe that's very good news for Newfoundland and Labrador. There will be others in the environmental movement who rightly have a different view and say that isn't so. You want to talk about that this morning? Give us a call. Um, little post-federal cabinet shuffle news. David Lametti, the justice minister, former justice minister who was, was dropped from cabinet, said he was surprised prize to have been dropped. Are we going to see a little drama start to, to play out here as, uh, as we uh, get past the early days and the, the first bits of storytelling surrounding the cabinet shuffle? We talked a lot with the Prime Minister about this yesterday. We talked to David Aiken about it today. We're going to go back into that pot uh, a little bit. We're going to be joined by uh, Minister Goody Hutching shortly, who, got a, who had a new role um, added to her already existing rural economic development Portfolio. She's going to be the ECOA minister. We'll get her take on her new role. Um, some of the questions the prime minister got yesterday here in Newfoundland and Labrador around the fuel surcharge. Do the liberals get some of the economic, um, immediate economic grief Canadians are feeling? Their polling numbers. We'll talk to Goody about that. We're going to talk to David Coletto too, about the poll and dig a little deeper. There's some fascinating stuff in there about how homeowners and renters and um, people living with their families view their voting preferences and what they're thinking. And this is going to be a big issue in the next election, housing, homelessness, people's ability to get shelter and afford it. Anyway, we'll talk about David, talk with David about all of that. But as oft is the case with this program uh, and VOCM, sometimes when you listen 
to the news uh, or listen to the the, 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 the great uh, hosts on this program. And I'm not putting myself in the pantheon of great. I'm talking about Ben and Jerry Lynn. Jerry Lynn did a conversation or had a conversation, I should say, with Gemma Hickey um, just a few minutes ago. And I, I am a fan of, of Gemma's. They have done great work in, in uh, dealing with um, discrimination and speaking out against it. Good to see Gemma take on a role in a formal capacity with the Provincial Liberal Party and the creation of the uh, the commission. Uh, that That's all fantastic. Um, I was struck by something Gemma said, and I don't want to let it go, and perhaps it gets some calls this morning. I hope it does. Um, and again, I, I'm a fan of Gemma, so it, it comes from that perspective that Gemma spoke about the fact that still, still, and I suppose I shouldn't be shocked by this, still there is you know increased hatred and, and anger and ignorance. If it was only ignorance, maybe I could live with it. It's the hatred and the abuse um, towards people who may identify as LGBTQ2+, who don't understand the issues, who don't understand uh, or have whatever concern based on whatever their belief is about people who are different than themselves as they may view them. I don't get how that is still the case. I get in some cases that people who have grown up uh, in certain circumstances uh, with certain faiths and beliefs have beliefs that have guided them their entire lives. That's fair. That's that, that's their right. However, it's not our right to be abusive or harass or go after or bully or try to intimidate people who also have their beliefs, who are making their choices, who are choosing to identify as they want to be identified. Like enough people. There is so much, you know, where one of the things I thought the Prime Minister got right yesterday, and I don't want to get into the partisanship on it. There's so much hate about right now. It seems more intense. There are lots of reasons for that. But you know that the hate that's directed at people because you don't understand the way they identify you don't understand who they are or who they want to be to me that is just wrong and vile and offensive I mean, I think there's a major disconnect happening in this country, too. And I see it with my, my, my own son and, and his friends. They, they're so much more open and welcoming and understanding of the world than many of, uh, of, of the adults. They grow up in a place where nobody is questioning their identity or how they would like to be raised or participate or how they would uh, like to govern their their lives i mean it just it and god bless them god bless them for that they don't see color they don't see gender or or non-gender or binary or they don't see those things they just accept people for who they are and i'm sorry if i'm getting some of the words and language wrong but i hope you're getting my overall point because i'm still learning but the one thing i do know and I do understand is we have to be open and welcoming and throw away the hate. If you look throughout history, whenever hate has been directed at a person or a group because of their religion, their ethnicity, the color of their skin, their sexual orientation, nothing good happens of that. Nothing, nothing. God bless you, Gemma. 
the work you are doing and others are doing to fight back is important. And you got a platform here, and anybody who wants to talk about this issue has a platform here. And look, I, I'll go even further. I, uh, this isn't woke. I'm the last person who would be described as woke. This is human rights. This is the basic sense of being, the basic sense of individuality and societal behavior and norms and social understanding. This isn't woke. There's lots of things that are so-called woke. This isn't woke. And yes, I get there are people who get frustrated with the debate around pronouns and get upset about that and, and, and make comments about all of that. Fair enough. That comes with change. But this is this is about people's basic rights to exist as they are. Anyway, I, I hope you get my point there. I want to encourage this conversation and, and all perspectives. If you have a different view, by all means, bring it on, but do it in a respectful way. If you come on and you start going against somebody or making comments because you aren't um, comfortable with this, then uh, I will cut you off. But if you have responsible questions, we will talk. All right, tell you what I'm going to do so we can have a little space between it, Dave. Uh, the Minister of Rural Economic Development uh, and ACOA is on the line, Goody. I'm going to take a break, uh, Goody and Dave, for commercial break. Then we'll come back and talk to Goody Hutchings after the break here on VOCM's Open Line. All right, welcome back. Tim Powers here for Patty. Going to go right to line three and speak to the Minister of Rural Economic Economic Development, and now Minister Responsible for ACOA, uh, Goody Hutchings. Goody, how are you? I'm great, Tim. How are you this morning? I'm good. It was funny. Uh, you probably read this or saw it before. When Crosby got ACOA and fisheries, he said he had fish and chips. So what do you have with rural economic development and ACOA? Oh, my golly. That's a good one. But <laughs> I've got is a passion and a chance now to really do more magical things for these small communities, especially in Atlantic Canada. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think just so people understand it a little bit. So your portfolio before, which um, was, was newly created to tap into your experience and your passion for rural economic development, didn't have a, um, a line funding department or agency, correct? So now you have the ability to have a direct line to uh, an economic regional development agency. True. The one thing we did have with rural economic development, though, was the big pot of money for connectivity. Okay. And that okay. was the number one mandate was to get the country connected. And look, we're doing a great job with that. You know, in 2014, there was 78 percent of the country connected. Right now, we're at 93.5 percent. Uh, we're going to be at 98 percent by 2026. We've got MOUs with Quebec, Ontario, Newfoundland and Labrador, Alberta, B.C., Prince Edward Island, you know, um, the, the country is getting connected. Now, I know everybody wants it yesterday, but it is coming. That That is being done. So when the prime minister asked me, would I take on a call as well, I said yes with every bit of energy and vigor and passion I have because you're right that now gives the other the, the other funding opportunities and look a coal we all know a coal in Atlantic mm -hmm. Canada you know it was put in place to to rise us up to help the other parts of the country and um, you know Jeanette's done some phenomenal work and the previous ministers as you said it's been around a long time I'm looking forward now to putting my touch on it and to to find these these magical opportunities that are out there and working with with business and not-for-profits to, to grow our, our, our Atlantic coast. 
Yeah, I think Brian Mulroney came in the Brian Mulroney government in his first mandate, I think, in 1987. And every prime minister since uh, has wisely kept it because it's it's done good things. Um, Goody, you, you you know rural Newfoundland and rural Canada very well. You Part of your job uh, politically is to build a connection and a brand with rural Canada, which outside of Atlantic Canada hasn't always been as supportive of of the Liberal Party uh, the way perhaps the Liberal Party would like. Um, how has that gone, and particularly right now in light of, and look, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, the, the frustration that is existing, particularly in rural communities, about some of the federal regulations, both on carbon pricing and the fuel service charge, the cost of goods is higher in rural Canada. You know, you, the, the government seems to be wearing a lot of frustration uh, that Canadians are having as a consequence of some circumstances that you control and many that you don't. So how has your mandate been going in terms of connecting the Liberal Party with rural Canadians and, and having rural Canadians understand that the Liberal Party gets them? Tim, that's a great question because I've gone from coast to coast to coast in this country. I've gone in communities that I had never heard tell us before. I had to Google to see where I was going. <laughs> and I can tell you, the reception has been incredible. You know me well enough, Tim. I'm going to go in in my jeans and my blundstones, and I'm going to sit down on a case of carnation milk or a bale of hay, and I just talk to people. And, you know, I've done, golly, I think it's about 120 roundtables, some virtually, but whenever I go anywhere, I'll do a couple of round tables with people because that's how you learn. What are your issues on the ground? And it's interesting because as I've done this from coast to coast to coast, you see a lot of the issues are the same no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's connectivity. It's workforce, labor, immigration, and housing. And it's not all social housing. It's economic development housing, you know. It's it's access and, and transit. It's um, capacity. It's you know, the capacity of these small towns to be able to fill out an onerous federal or provincial government application. I had an SPT in Gross Morn in early um, early June, a, me- a meeting of my federal provincial territorial counterparts. And it was great. A, of course, it gave me a chance to show off our province in Gross Morn. <laughs> But uh, which was my, you know, my underlining message. But it was a chance for us all to sit down. And we all agreed, you know, so here we are from many parties, many colors, many stripes. But we all agreed that there needs to be a different lens of every program, be it municipal, provincial, federal, for these small communities. So why should an application of, you know, $50,000 for a playground in you know, Main Brook be the same as a $500 million infrastructure application in downtown Vancouver, right? So we all have this same conversation. And that's been my job since I've been there now in two years. And I'm proud to say we're making impacts. Like we put an LGBTQ lens and look, I just want to echo all your comments. I was on the line listening to your, 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 before you went to break. And, you know, we, we've got to do a better job of all of us Canadians and around the world to control this hate out there. But we put an LGBTQ lens on stuff. We put an indigenous lens. We put now a rural lens, our small community lens and our programming and policies. So it's neat because I'll have people look at me and say, okay, Goody, I did look at this and here's how we're going to do it different in, for small communities. So we are having a difference. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's important because I think there are, look, again, probably every listener of this program anyways recognizes the policy 
um, solutions needed for uh, for Gander or Wesley Brook or wherever you uh, are, uh, Larkarb or you name it, are very different than what you need in St. John's, Mount Pearl, Toronto. But here, here, here's what's fascinating for me. And, and again, look, there is no doubt your boss, Prime Minister, is committed uh, aggressively to climate change. I think that is something he wants to be a legacy item, and I'm very grateful he joined us yesterday to, to explain his perspective. But this fuel charge matter is, as you know, causing a lot of grief uh, in Atlantic Canada. You know the data. Parliamentary Budget Officer says the impact is three times greater in Atlantic Canada. It's not carbon pricing where you do have a, a, a mechanism to reimburse people or provide them climate incentive payments. That The fuel service charge is different. One of the arguments that I've heard is that this is an example of a federal policy where some regional understanding should be applied because, again, you know the market is, is different in Atlantic Canada. The geology is different in Atlantic Canada. The, the ability to have charging stations and, and alternative forms of energy are different in Atlantic Canada. I don't want to cause a cabinet riff here, but why, why is there such resistance, it seems, to address the regional anomalies that are, and, and the pain that apparently is being caused through the fuel service charge? Tim, look, uh, we know it's challenging times. You know, we're not going to sugarcoat that. But, you know, we've got to dial back in time, too. You know, we mm-hmm. had this global pandemic that nobody wrote a playbook about. Nobody knew. We stepped up to help Canadians right out of the box. And nobody ever thought it would go on that long. I know the day they, they stood up in the house and said, you're going home for two weeks. We'll see you at Easter. Well, hello. To, you know, over two years later, we come back. And then after that, you have this war in Ukraine. And that has had such an impact. And I know it's hard for everybody to, um, you know, people are focused on your day-to-day issues, right? Mm -hmm. You know, is is your kid going to be able to go to camp this summer, you know? Or the price of everything is going up. I believe it, but I, I, I get that. And we have in there to help people with so many things, with the grocery rebate, with the price on pollution rebate, with dental and rental and childcare and daycare, and now the Canada Workers' Benefit. But the other thing we've got to realize, and this is so hard, it look, it, it's hard for me sometimes, is the price of not doing anything on climate change. Mm-hmm. I was out in Port of Basque for a week last year. You know, what our friends and colleagues are going through now in Nova Scotia. Yeah. What they're going through, that all costs billions and billions of dollars. So that's money that we don't have to put into other programs. So we've got to do, we've all got to work together to battle this globally. You know, um, look at the ocean temperatures here, what we're Mm -hmm. hearing. Look what we're seeing in salmon, Tim. You know, you and I both love to cast a line. Like, it's tragic what you're seeing, what's happening to our rivers. We have got to get this climate issue under control. Or my little granddaughter, our grandkids, and our future generations are going to see a total different Newfoundland and Labrador than you and I have been fortunate to see. Yeah, look, I I give you that. Uh, I mean, my my son this summer um, became a 
that a little later. He's had four soccer games or practices canceled either because of the smoke here in central Canada and or heat warnings. So it, it's something you and I never had to deal with. We never deal with heat warnings in Newfoundland Labrador. Uh, but, 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 but those things are real. But uh, two last questions for you because I know you're busy and I want to keep you. I Look, I fully get, and this is very reminiscent, the Prime Minister's argument is reminiscent of arguments other Prime Ministers have made about, uh, say, uh, Mulroney on trade. Uh, look, we got to do this now because it's in our long-term economic benefit. The challenge, as you well know, is the the, the, the opportunity to make long-term change creates short-term political pain. You guys are seeing that now in, in, in some of the polls. Our abacus poll had you ahead by one point in Atlantic Canada where you have been dominant. So how do you weather that political storm? Because if you are making significant long-term policy change, there is that pain. How do you get through that and not lose political support? You know, Tim, I'm going to your your comments that you made earlier on you know um, how we've got to do a better job of mm-hmm. and it's terrible the hate that we see with color and gender and yep. you know we, we're welcoming um, we are not a, pol- a, a political party of hate or fear either mm-hmm. and in trying times I think it's not responsible to add fear to the fear that people already have. I really think that people want to see that there's a government that understands, that's compassionate, that has a plan. We're all going to hold hands and get through this together. I'm not a person of fear and hate. I'm a person of, yeah, it's terrible time. But you know what? Let's get through this together instead of scream and yell and say everything is wrong. But let's just take our time and get through this together because there are tumble waters coming. Look, I travel every mm-hmm. week as you know. And I always chat to the to the people sitting next to me, where they're going, where they're coming. And every single person says to me, oh, my golly, when are we going to start seeing the wind energy projects at home? When do you think that mine and so-and-so is going to get out? I want to come home. I want to move home. And look, Atlantic Canada's time is now. When you look the long term over the next couple of years, the opportunities that we have, where the critical minerals coming to build a battery. They're coming mm-hmm. from mines that are going to be developed here. Look at the wind power, the excitement in Stephenville last year when the German Chancellor and the PM were there. Like we have such opportunity now. We've got such opportunity in, in agriculture, in tourism. We still haven't touched the Mm-hmm. the bottom of the bucket and what we can do. So I think Canadians and Atlantic Canadians and here at home in Newfoundland and Labrador, you want to see people that have a plan, that understand things are tough and challenging, but we're there to support, like I said, with all the programs we've, we have out in place now. And sadly, the opposition has said they're going to cut them off. So, you know, you know the time, you know the saying here in Newfoundland, uh, you know, Tory times are hard times, you know? But, <laughs> right? And, you know, they cut the Coast Guard. They shut down Veterans Affairs offices. They centralized services, you know? Well, we've tried to put all that back, and we have put it back. So I'm not a politician of fear and hate. I'm a politician of hope and recognition that yeah. we've had incredible opportunities in Atlantic Canada and right here at home in Newfoundland and Labrador. And I'm proud to be part of, of, of working with a call out and make a difference. Yeah. 
Oh, well, I, there is nobody who could accuse you of being negative. I will. Uh, you, you are a positive, highly energetic person. You even got in some good partisan remarks with a smile. If only more politicians could do that. I, I got 30 seconds. Uh, anything you want to add or tell Newfoundlanders and Labradorians about what your new role might mean for them? Because we've heard a lot about the cabinet shuffle, and, and I think the prime minister described it as renewed voices, renewed team. What is your new job potentially mean in real terms for people who are listening today? Look, everybody knows a call in Atlantic Canada. And, you know, I'm on the ground with the team here in St. John's this week. I'm, I'm going to meet the other three offices next week. But I want to see we're doing we're doing great work. What are the other opportunities now that we see for a co-op that we can, again, make a difference in, in Atlanta. That's going to be my focus. We're doing great work. What other great work can we be doing? Where else do we need to delve into? And then, of course, it'll be my job to go back to Ottawa and find the money to do it. And <laughs> I'm up for the challenge, and uh, I've already given some, some warnings to some of my colleagues. Look out. So I'll, I'll be coming looking because I want to deliver, and I will deliver for Atlanta Canadians and here at home in Newfoundland and Labrador. That, that, you know what? And every effective Newfoundland and Labrador minister that I have known regardless of party, takes the same approach. And, and good on you. We're here. We're here to get something, not just for Canada, but for our region. All right, Goody, good to talk to you. Have a good weekend. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Tim. Take care. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. All right. That was Goody Hutchings, Minister of Rural Economic Development and now Minister of ECOA. Okay, here's our plan. We are going to take a break. When I come back, Merv, I'll bring you on right away, Merv Wiseman, and then my colleague David Coletto will go through these, this poll in, uh, in, in a bit more detail. Time for our first, second break here on VOCM Open Line. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. All right, welcome back. Just before I go to Merv Wiseman, a reminder, you can get us at openline at vocm.com or on Twitter at Powers Tim or call. We prefer calls because we can talk to you, but we'll talk to you any way we can. Uh, now I'm going to talk to Merv Wiseman, well-known to listeners of this program, someone who cares a lot about uh, this province and many different things. Merv, how are you today? Well, good, Tim. And uh, look, it's great to hear your voice uh, on VLC and Molten Line. And uh, I follow you a lot. Uh, I'm one of my favorite shows that David Cochran is hosting. <laughs> and uh, very, very interested. I never miss a piece. Well, we'll, we'll, I'll tell David that. Uh, we, we won't mention that other network, Merv. Jeez, we don't want to get in trouble yeah. here today. But uh, well, uh, yeah, David's doing a good job in the in his new role over there. But uh, but there you have it. Thank you for those kind words. What you, you Something different you want to talk about today, yeah. the story of this well, fugitive. Mm-hmm, absolutely, uh, Tim. And, uh, you know, the cut to the chase here, uh, no pun intended. But, uh, <laughs> the, the chase you know, that isn't going very well, apparently. Oh, uh, let me tell you. Yeah, look, I had my own experience last night, uh, our own experience, our, my family, as uh, did other neighbors uh, in um, a little place called Goose Cove, which is yep. North Harbor, essentially. Um, and, of course, it has to do with the, the fugitive, the, the, the armed uh, person by the admission of the police, uh, armed and dangerous, that's on the loose uh, since the evening before last. And they've searched high and low uh, with uh, you know, K-9, with uh, other types of technology enforcement. I haven't seen any helicopters. And, uh, you know, this, uh, this person, 36-year-old person, 
uh, has got uh, charges as uh, you know, long as you're armed, and uh, it's armed and dangerous. And yeah. and just like that, at eight o'clock last night, uh, someone Facebooked me to tell me, or you know, or to ask some questions about all the excitement now in North Harbour. Mm-hmm. And seeing my, my son, who had gone for a walk, his evening walk, his evening run, if you will, had called from the other part of the harbor and said, it's all lit up down around our home. What's what's happening? And I'm saying, I don't know. So, geez, the next thing you know, around the turn, just 300 feet away from my home, there's a barrage of police cars and um you know, drone uh, searching K nine and yeah. and all of that for for the fugitive that's uh, that they've been looking for. And I'm thinking, shit, man, this is uh, Murph. Oh, Murph, you know better to say that word on the air. Come on, that's okay. Yeah, sorry for that. um, but um, and so look, uh, there, there just seems to be something missing from this equation. Certainly, in the lines of communication, I would think standard operating procedure would be that you know at least at the very least the neighbors would be made aware yeah uh, other than through just an ordinary advisory i don't know if the advisory was ordinary or not but i know the evening before that there was a general alert that everyone i got myself uh, but this one was just an advisory that was a, a little um and camouflage, you know, within the scope of Twitter and, and mm-hmm. Facebook, and who's looking at that all the time? And I'm thinking, you know, this is uh, this is not uh, this is very poor. And so here we are again this morning. You know, I'm I'm working a, a, a fur farm here, an operation that in the past have saw, have seen uh, two uh, situations, not all that dissimilar. In fact, the one person who had robbed the general store on his way to my farm, uh, changed his wet clothes and stole my truck and was apprehended Jeez. a few hours later. And then about six months later, uh, three people that robbed the post office in Swift Current bailed out of their car on the highway. Guess where they made their way? Right to my farm, changed <laughs> my their goodness. clothes, and while they were changing their clothes, the RCMP apprehended them on my farm. So I'm thinking, <laughs> if there's a fugitive... The You're the common the link. <laughs> I think, yeah. So, uh, you know, excuse me for for being a little bit nervous there, uh, Tim, but, you know, it just seems to me that, you know, I've heard about these manhunts, and it's anywhere in the country, you know, all the stops are pulled, and, uh, you know, there's all kinds of engagement of, um, you know, armed forces even. Uh, You know, what happens? So what's the next step for this fugitive? You know, does he decide... I think I'll take him hostage or something and uh, <laughs> yeah. take out. You know, if he's in your backyard, who knows? Uh, you know. Yeah, no, it, it's all very... It's all very concerning. The one thing I quickly add, then, I, then I've got to move on. I appreciate the call is uh, your point about communicating, and, and you will have paid attention to it. You'll remember the Mass Casualty Commission in Nova Scotia that dealt with that yes. terrible mass okay. shooting. And uh, obviously okay. the gravity was much more severe. But the one thing they did point out was the challenge, at least in that case, and it may not be here, but just important to note, um, the RCMP had in terms of how they communicated uh, that they did do social a lot of social media but at least in Nova Scotia they didn't reach out to more form the normal channels that a lot of people pay attention to like local radio now credit to the whomever I think it's the RCMP here I know they're giving VOCM a lot of information but the more information that you can share I think the better better it is anyway give you like 10 seconds for a last comment Merv then I got to move on well, yeah, I really think there's other things to be said about this, and I don't want to do a retrospective on this one after someone gets hurt. I'd rather do it now, yeah. you know, just 
person is armed and dangerous, and anything um, can happen. A lot of people last night in this uh, harbour, judging by what people are telling me this morning, uh, slipped with their own firearm for their own protection. A lot of children uh, didn't get a night's sleep. They were, you yeah, know, they're worried. This is the kind of thing that's happening, and you, you can't blame that. And I just want to bring a little bit of profile to this to say, yep. come on, like, pull out a few more stops, and let's do a few other things. If something happens in, in your backyard with, a, with an armed uh, a person, then um, let me know about it, you know, and, yep. uh, and don't, don't have me guessing. That's all I'm saying. It's, I'm sure we'll have a little more discussion about this, but um, here, here okay. we go with him. And, uh, all right. Well, stay safe, Merva. Thank you for raising it. And again, people in the area you are uh, should be aware and, and pay attention. And uh, certainly if you see anything, uh, call call the police immediately and, uh, and seek assistance. Thanks, Merv. Okay. All the best to the police, too. Thank you so much, Tim. Take care. All right, that was Merv Wiseman. Now, there's so many analogies and segues I could make here because David Coletto, of course, of course, is a fine, upstanding citizen. There is no doubt about his character, his integrity, his probity. But some in the government may have felt that it was criminal for him to drop a poll on the day of the cabinet shuffle that showed the liberals 10 points behind the conservatives. Dr. Coletto, why were you so nasty? I'm an, I'm an evil man. I'm not evil. <laughs> evil. Yeah, so uh, 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 yesterday was lucky enough to have the Prime Minister on this program. Today, Goody Hutchings. Um, the Liberals have had more enthusiasm, I would say, in the last two days in trying to push back on some of what your poll re- re- revealed in, in, the, in the narrative aspect of it, that being that, you know, they're not seemingly connecting with Canadians on the pain Canadians are feeling around uh, pocketbook issues, the cost of living. I think uh, our abacus poll had 72% of Canadians recognizing that as as a top issue. We know the top line issues, David. What are the things that are irritating people and how are the Liberals doing on the connection in addressing that irritation? Well, I think, as you said, like the cost of living is front and center to, to the vast majority of people across the country. There's no real difference depending on where you live or how old you are. It, it, it's the thing that we're thinking about, right? And how do we keep up with it? And, and if you own a home and you have a mortgage and that mortgage rate's going up, uh, how do you, you know, how do you make it, it work? And then the price of food and all the other things. Plus, you know, there's still deep concern about the healthcare systems in, in most provinces. Um, there's you know, worry about the cost of housing, and and then there's you know, in climate change that 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 I think has, has reasserted itself given the extreme weather and droughts and floods and and fires that we've seen uh, in many parts of the country. And so you have a government, I think, right now that most Canadians are looking at and saying, well, first you've been in power for eight years. I'm kind of getting fatigued and and sick of seeing you, Prime Minister. But number two is, I think they've they haven't been able to connect the mode of like why mm-hmm. why are they doing what they're doing and i think the, the the cabinet shuffle i think was an attempt the first step perhaps to reset that narrative and to say to the country we're making the economy and and you know your 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 personal economy the micro economy in your household the most important issue and we're going to focus on that whether the whether canadians buy it we'll see we'll see how the next few polls turn out but the, the, the number that stands out to me in our, in our survey is that 81% of Canadians say it's time for a change in government. Only 19% say they think the government deserves to be reelected. That is a, a, a real damning indictment of the government 
and why I think you saw such a big change in its its front bench this week. Yeah, it, it was interesting in talking to both the Prime Minister and uh, Minister Hutchings, what they're starting to try to argue at a more uh, uh, base level is, look, we're making tough choices now. We're trying to help you with our grocery rebate, our climate change action payments, etc. cetera. Uh, but if we don't make these changes, that this is, is that the country is going to be in worse shape. So they're, they're playing to the climate change angle of the poll. But the, the immediacy of pain is real, isn't it, David, uh, in terms of what you're seeing in the data? It is like, you know, there was uh, in our polling, other polling, you've seen half, almost half of Canadians saying I'm having a hard time paying for groceries, right? That, that there's this sense of, you know, even if inflation is dropping, prices have, are not going to drop, right? And an interest rate increase two weeks ago added f- further pressure to that. So there's a lot of people out there who are mm-hmm. who are feeling the immediate pain, aren't seeing increases in wages. And so the natural inclination for us is to say, okay, so government, what are you going to do? And that's why inflation is such a government killer, because there's actually not a lot it can do um, to to solve for these problems, yet people are going to blame them for, for, the, for the place they're in. So if 81% uh, say they want change, how is it looking for Pierre Polyev uh, and the way Canadians are viewing him? Because previous abacus polls have, have, have indicated while the party number goes up, there's still a lot of negativity towards Pierre Polyev. And, and I think that one of the pieces of data that I had seen was 31 or no, now it's 33, I believe 33% of Canadians uh, aren't comfortable with alternatives. So Mr. Yeah. Polyev has clearly benefited fitting from the liberal challenges what, what give us a picture of where he stands with canadians yeah i mean so the, you're right the conservatives are ahead by 10 nationally that's a great place for them to be they might win a majority government with those kind of numbers but if you look below the surface and i said this in my analysis you know the, the conservatives shouldn't get giddy by this because there's some underlying numbers that still should worry them that one that you mentioned that despite the fact that eight out of ten canadians want change Almost half of that group says, yeah, but I look at the alternatives and I don't feel completely comfortable with them. And the Liberals still win among that group. So this is a group that wants change, but it's still, you know, a sizable number of them are going to vote Liberal anyways. It tells you, you know, there's still lots of work that the Conservatives, even the New Democrats have to do. But for the Conservatives, it's partly Mr. Polyev, who is increasingly getting known among people, um, but still more people view him negatively than positively. And, and the thing that, you know, really I'm watching for is as he's out there, as he's talking to communities, I know he's in Atlantic Canada the last, uh, you know, last week or two weeks ago, is, is how are people reacting to him? Because ultimately, even though our system's not designed this way, people do vote for the leader. They look at the leader as somebody that's important. And, um, and so I, I, I wouldn't say despite the Conservatives leading significantly in our poll, it's not because Pierre Polyev's on fire or people are loving him. It's, it's almost in a way despite some of the challenges he's faced in the last few weeks, too. Just before I let you go, um, one of the areas you also drilled down on, which I really found informative, and yeah, of course I'm pandering, it's my own company, but I think others did too, uh, and that was on housing. And you looked at how people who own their own home, people who rent, and people who live with a family feel about political parties. What did that data say? So we we found that, you know, uh, among homeowners, which make up about 60 
5% of the population across the country, the Conservatives are well ahead, like almost 15 points ahead. Um, but even among renters, a, a group that, you know, in the past the Liberals have won pretty substantially, um, they're, they're not doing that well there, which I think is a signal, which is why Sean Fraser, the, the, member, the minister, member of parliament from Nova Scotia, is now the housing minister, because this, for particularly for that younger generation that the Liberals... Um, need basically those millennials gen gen z that helped them win the last two elections gave them the majority i think in the first one um they're they're really they're they're losing hope that they're going to be able not just to buy a home but even pay the rent um that that they have to pay now and so i think housing is becoming a huge issue and on top of it we're starting to track public opinion around immigration and I think all of these issues are starting to connect. Where we're seeing a, a growing number of people who are actually saying, "I think we're, we're, you know, welcoming too many people into the country. I think it's putting too much pressure on housing, on healthcare." And so there's, anyway, it, it, basically, it's 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 creating a, a really complicated public opinion out there. And housing, I think, housing is going to be that issue that all mm-hmm. levels of government are, are grappling with in, in almost every part of the country. And, and if they don't get it right, it's going to create, I think, a lot of political pressure and tension. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch over the next number of weeks to see if the dial moves in the next amp- abacus sampling as to where people are. But I think we really won't see anything until the fall in terms of if there are any impact from the cabinet shuffle and whatever comes after that. Yeah, I agree. And, and I, I mean, the other thing to keep in mind, I always remind people, is that about a third of the country isn't even really paying that paying much attention, attention to politics anyways. And so until the next campaign, we may not actually know uh, how people react to, like, Mr. Polyev and, and the other choices yeah. regarding the Liberals. So. Long way to go yet. All right. Got to leave it there. Thanks for the time, David. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Tim. Take care. Okay, that was David Coletto, CEO uh, and executive chair of Abacus Data. Time for a break. Murray, when we come back, we'll talk to you about somebody named Fiona, the Hurricane Fiona, when we come back. All right, welcome back. We're going to talk about that Fiona, Hurricane Fiona. Murray's on line two. Murray, you, you want to revisit the, the devastation of Hurricane Fiona. What, what would you like to talk about specifically? Well, thanks for taking my call, Ben. Appreciate Tim, it. that's all right. First, that's I'd like right. to invite Goody Hutchings to come mm-hmm. to the southwest coast and see the disgraceful abuse of the money donated for the Fiona disaster. Hmm. So what's happened? What's happened right now, they're taking 57 houses out of Port of Bass and moving them uptown. And they're 60 and 70 feet above sea level. Okay. Here in Burnt Islands... There's houses there. My house is about two feet. They're just up the road from me, two or three feet, three and four feet away from the water. Everything's washed away. We live on a highland, Ben. Mm-hmm. And, well, all I get from the Liberal government is lies and promises. From Andrew Parsons won't come here and have a meeting with us. And the guys, the, 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 the people that's looking after this money, all details pack of lies. I've been 10 months trying to get something around my life done. And all details so, me is a pack of lies, making promises. We so will Murray, come. We just, will just do so, Sorry, just so we can understand it, those of us who aren't in Port of Basque there. So who are you supposed to go to? Or who's, this, who's the we and the they in this, the people you're supposed to go to to get assistance and direction? I guess here in Burnt Islands, it should have been the town council. Okay. It was maybe supposed to have done it. 
but they're the most incompetent group of people that ever I met in my life. They didn't even file for anything. We went over and had a meeting, six or seven of us here, that got homes in danger, and they didn't even know what I was talking about, mitigation, and neither one of them, the mayor, didn't know what I was talking about. So there wasn't a direct vehicle. Sorry, I, I just want to, just so I understand, so I can, and so we can help, maybe help you. Was there, when emergency assistance funds were granted, who was supposed to distribute them? And was there, a, that's question one, as far as you know. And question two is, was there a mechanism for individuals to get direct assistance themselves? Okay. Minister John Ogan is supposed to be in control of this money. Okay. Andrew Parsons is, is not even supposed to be in control of it, that I can gather. Mm -hmm. But all the money here, this Fiona money, is going to Port of Bass. And we're sitting down the coast just from, you know, nine miles we're from Port of Bass. And we're, we're forgotten. And just for, for our purposes, I how bad them, was it? I called the project managers. I've called all of them, and, and all they keep telling me, "Pack a lawyer. We're going to do something." And and at the town council, there's one fellow there made away with his own news, and he's on the Halifax news, telling people he don't want no more houses to leave Burn Islands because it'd be hard for the community, which everybody knows it would be. But he shouldn't have the right to make decisions on my own, whether I'm in danger or not. Yeah, it, it, to be fair, yeah, I, I don't, I don't dispute your facts of the case, but I don't know the story about him. So let's be careful what, what we say about that. But let, let, so how, just so people understand it, because you're, you're right. Like the story told nationally was all about Port of Basque. What happened on Burnt Island? We lost eleven houses, destroyed completely here for a small yeah. community. That's a lot of homes. Mm -hmm. Eleven had to be taken down, you know, demolished. But the only impact zone. It's in Port of Bass. I got a message from senior project manager. He and it says the only impact zone is Port of Bass. No, houses sixty and seventy feet above sea level. If the if the houses are taken down up there now, in phase two, if the sea would ever come high enough to hit them houses, there wouldn't be a house left down here on this coast. But. Brian Button acquired this money legally, mm -hmm. I suppose. And but right, 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 yeah, yeah. Be careful with that. Be, 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 well, you said you suppose. We, look, we let's not cast aspersions about th facts we don't have and uh, may not exist. So okay. Well, I just said I suppose he got it legally. You know, no, no. I, I did say you said you suppose. I'm just saying let's let's continue to be careful with all of that. So, who who do you think should be solving this problem for you now, John Hogan? Well. What I can gather, he, he's the minister of emergency services. Emergency, right? Yes, minister of justice, emergency services. So he's the one that I suppose dishes out the money. Mm -hmm. But I've had engineers come here, looked at my house. I've had health inspectors come here. Uh, I've had an electrician come here, told me I can't stay in this house. If if I got to stay in this house, everything electrical got me moved upstairs. Now the water washes in my house here every two weeks. So when the next big storm starts to come, I'll have you up all night long, see if I got to run or not. Yeah. And, and that's and, real. Like, that. that's real, as you, as you say. Uh, and, and I'll tell you something else, Ben. 
Tim, you're calling road. me Ben. Tim, Tim. Tim, okay, I'm sorry. That's all right, buddy. Go Just up the road from my old mayor is the mm-hmm. main sewer system. Runs out about 300 yards up the road, up the shore there. Okay. Untreated sewage. When the sea rolls down through the bay and the water washes in my basement, the basement fills up Jeez, the sewage. That's awful. It's a disgrace what it is. I've had an engineer come here. My basement has broke off since Fiona because we, I had the same storm here with Fiona as I had it. Christmas Eve was the same as when Fiona went through. It just wasn't as much wind. Mm-hmm. And I had just finished one of the bedrooms down the basement and the sea came in Christmas Eve and I spent half of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day down the basement shoveling out kill up the sewage God, again. Man. And they I'm sent a health inspector back. I had to clean it up. I mean, you've got to clean up your own home. They sent the Absolutely. same engineer back, and the second time he went out, he said, your basement is broke. There, look, it's a basement, and it is broke off. So if he, if it was there when he came first and he didn't see it, he wouldn't do his job. And if it wasn't there, that means my house now is settling because the water washes in through under the flooring and comes up through the nails in the concrete where I had to tear all the floor out. Mm-hmm squirts up through the, the concrete floor. I had another engineer or lady, I guess she was... I, I got a, Murray, I got about uh, one minute because I got to go to news. What? I, I, and I, I will say this to you, I know the the, um, the government listens and Minister Hogan or whomever is responsible for this, uh, for providing services to Port of Basque is, is welcome to call and, and explain their, and Burnt, Burnt Island is welcome to call and explain their perspective. What what would you like to conclude with? I know, I'm I'd sorry, like I have to go to... To come here and have a meeting with us okay. on the, the communities east of Port of Bass. Okay. To see with what, what we can get done. All right. Thank you okay. for waiting. Thank you for not telling your story. Tim, Appreciate not it. A problem. Appreciate Take care. It. You have a good day. Thanks. Okay. All right. That was Murray. And yeah, the after effects of storms, people are still dealing with them. Time for a quick, well, it's more than a quick break. Time for news here at VOCM. Back with more of your calls after that. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. Welcome back. Um, lots of stories lately about uh, accessibility challenges that exist in parks and planes and pedestrian malls. Those accessibility cha- challenges primarily for people with uh, with disabilities, but also impact able-bodied people as well. But we want to focus on, on the challenges people with disabilities are having persons with disabilities. And I won't now want to bring on Nancy Reed, the executive director of the Coalition of Persons with Disabilities for Newfoundland and Labrador. Nancy, how are you? I'm great, Tim. Great to speak with you today. Yeah, great just to, to speak with you. I guess I'm a bit flummoxed by the one with the National Park. Uh, I mean, of all the places, first and foremost, you would think being it's a federally run mm-hmm. um, federally run entity. Uh, there has been a, a very strong advocate for uh, disabilities in the, in the form of Carla Qualtrough, the former minister of, mm-hmm. uh, of, disabil- of, of people with disabilities. So tell us about what happened there and how it's being addressed. All right, thanks. 
Um, so just to give listeners, uh, I guess, a little update as to where we are. Sure. There was a caller um, to open line earlier this week, uh, a lady by the name of Karen, and uh, she identified with some barriers that she encountered when she went to Grossmore um, last weekend. And uh, specifically, she identified as an individual who uses a motorized scooter for mobility because of her disability. Okay. And uh, when, you know, a number of, you know, a sequence of events that we won't get into right now, but essentially when she got to the park, um, mm-hmm. she was told that she could not use her motorized scooter, okay, which I'll discuss in a second, but that there was another device available for people in her position, um, and it was an all-terrain wheelchair. We know it in the community as a hippocamp. And um, so she assumed that because an all-terrain wheelchair was available to her, she would be able to use that to access the the trail, which is a little more than three kilometers in length, uh, to get to the boat tour. Um, When she tried to do that and was given the chair, it was available to her, she realized that the chair uh, was not what she was expecting. It had not been communicated to her that this all-terrain wheelchair, which is valuable, is valid for many people. Uh, I don't want to discredit its ability for its use for some folks because it's certainly appropriate for many people. However, we need to be able to be clear when we're telling people what we have, that you know, uh, the details of it. So for this particular chair, on open line, she identified that it was very low to the ground. It wouldn't accommodate her. Her ability was not there to actually use it appropriately. So she ended up leaving and not being able to access the park. For me... And if I could just for a second, Tim. Yes, please. What that demonstrates is that the lack of equity for persons with disabilities. At the beginning of the, the whole conversation, she had a motorized scooter that she was using to accommodate her need, uh, you know, right. to, to to walk, and she was denied access based on her disability. That is an infringement of her human rights. Full stop. That was yep. absolutely inappropriate, and she should have been, without hesitation, enabled to access that trail using the motorized scooter that she already owned. So, what has Parks Canada said in response? Uh, in fairness, I have not been speaking to Parks this week about this. This is something that I was off for a couple of days and just spoke with Karen actually last night. But I will tell you that in 2019, myself and my colleague from the Coalition of Persons with Disabilities. We actually traveled to Grossmore, um, and on full disclosure, I am also a wheelchair user. I use a manual wheelchair. And myself and my colleague, who uh, is not a chair user, traveled to that space. We uh, did several days' worth of consultation and recommendations with park staff, and specifically about that trail that we're speaking of. At that time, they had just completed the, uh, I guess, the new trail. It had been a boardwalk. They made a number of changes, and while we were there, we actually applauded some of the changes that were made. Specifically, some of the elevations within that uh, path had been uh, reduced, which again was was, uh, important for many people with disabilities. In addition, many of the lookout spaces were now available for people with disabilities that had not been realized previously. So we applauded that, but we were very clear to speak to them about the need to accommodate those that could be accommodated, but currently were not. And specifically, we spoke to the use of golf carts and other ATV mm-hmm. devices that were actually being used by park staff at that time that could be used to help shuttle folks when they needed that equity to get from point A to point B. Um, but 
and we understood that that would be you know considered. Obviously, that has not happened. You yeah, need I, I to ju- enable s- folks access. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I, I just I, I was um, given the statement I, 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 that Parks Canada gave to us about uh, the issue that you have raised and uh, basically what they say here is on the public website for Grossmore National Park we provide information related to accessibility so that visitor, visitors are better able to plan an, an enjoyable visit based on their interest abilities and needs we also train staff at Grossmore and Park on how they can assist visitors with special needs and respond as they are able to telephone or email inquiries they go on to say we have recently begun to send a standard email response for inquiries about the all-terrain wheelchair which includes a photo and more specific information about the equipment so that visitors with mobility issues can make better informed choices we apologize for any misinformation on our part so they're Mm -hmm. kind of putting it back at karen right and you know we get that feedback often in the community right it's you know at the end of the day, Parks Canada right now had this information before Karen attended. You know, this information had been provided to them by us in 2019 and I'm sorry, in 2018 and by many others, I'm sure. Um, so I'll put that right back to Parks Canada. Um, I agree that they need to have better uh, protocol for communication. That information should have been communicated to her immediately and consistently throughout their system. So if a, if a phone call is answered by whomever or if an email is received or a text or however they receive their information, the same information should have been provided. The details of the altering wheelchair should have been provided. But beyond that, Karen should have been able to access that trail with her motorized equipment. It's motorized, but that doesn't make it a vehicle. It's a tool that replaces that or that that helps her because she doesn't have the use of her legs in the way that another person might. This is equity, and it was totally denied for her. And at full stop, that's what was needed. I applaud having a hippocamp with an all-terrain wheelchair there because it will accommodate the needs of some. But that information needed to be communicated fully, and Karen should have been. The, the first response to Karen was, yes, ma'am, you, you can take your motorized uh, device on the trail. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, it is a common um, response in most cases to say no first and, and then recognize you've made an error and not understand mm-hmm. how you've made the error. Maybe you learn from all of that. Listen, Nancy, can I take a break and come back and talk to you quickly about air travel because because cha- <laughs> air travel is uh, not for the faint of heart be you able-bodied or disabled uh, right. and I can only imagine the the difficulties because I've seen them firsthand people with disabilities encounter but let's talk about that after the break gonna have a quick break here on VOCM's open line and then more with Nancy Reed on the challenges people with disabilities face uh, while traveling by air back with you shortly uh, back with Nancy Reed now, and uh, Nancy, we are going to talk about the, the uh, tr- trouble that is traveling by air uh, for uh, for disabled persons. Uh, I have seen it firsthand. I travel a lot. I see some of the most bizarre processes, I think, known to manhood, humankind, as it relates to getting people in and off aircraft, both able-bodied and, and disabled. Um, and, and I can only imagine if you're a person with a disability, uh, air travel has to be a uh, 
uh, very unpleasant experience most times, despite how well-meaning people may be in trying to help you. So, you know, everything from washroom size to bringing people on planes and chairs that aren't their own and the chairs getting broken, it's just give us a sense of some of the challenges that exist and whether they're being addressed uh, fairly and properly by airlines and regulators. You gave a wonderful preamble, Tim. Um, you know, those are all realities experienced by people with disabilities today. And I just want to say that I'm speaking right now from the perspective from a physical mobility disability. Yes. Um, obviously, there are other considerations and barriers being faced by persons with other types of disability. Thinking about intellectual disability and how do you navigate within some of these environments when, you know, persons with mm-hmm. barriers in reading and, and also with vision and hearing, all of those spaces. Um, and I don't want to diminish those. But specifically, no, of course right now, not. In. To, yeah. So specifically, right now, I'll just speak to the physical mobility perspective, and you know, one of the spaces is actually getting onto an aircraft. So you know, most of us who fly um, have heard the call at the beginning of the you know the flight, where persons with disabilities or with children mm-hmm. would enter the, the aircraft first, um, and so you know, there is a, an attempt at accommodation there. For a person traveling, uh, you know, without and, and doesn't have the ability to walk, there's another device that a small chair that is navigates through the cockpit or, or through the to the aircraft or the, the cabin, and a uh, you know a couple of attendants will maneuver that device. It's uncomfortable. I've never used it. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, um, I'm very fortunate that each time I travel, my husband is able to go with me, and he's able to physically lift me and put me in the places that I need to go. Does it represent dignity? No. Does it represent appropriateness? Most likely not. But no, it works for God. myself as an individual, and it works well as a couple. However, that's my choice, and I applaud. I'm appreciative that I have choice. Um, but for many folks, and I could be an individual in that case at any time, needing to be able to travel through those spaces, I am fully reliant on the abilities of a couple of uh, flight attendants to maneuver a, uh, a transition chair, if you want, which is basically, um, you know, a seat that I'm that I'm strapped into, uh, which navigates that narrow um, hall or that narrow corner mm-hmm. between the seats on the plane. And I'm totally at the at the uh, ability of those attendants to maneuver me in that space. And the stories are numerous about people who have fallen and have been dropped and and all of that. Oh my. Thing. And, and the other thing that, I, that I've seen happen, Nancy, which, again, is just like such poor thinking. So, as you say, that call gets made. And if you don't have properly trained uh, employees of the airline, they can create extra aggravation. I remember one day in Toronto, which is a terrible place to be stuck anyway, and a lot, I think it was flying here. And uh, there was a, um, a woman in a chair, and they brought her on. About an hour later, they... Uh, let the rest of the passengers on and the story went around the plane that they you know they were blaming the woman she didn't book the right seat they didn't wow all, all, all to say that you know again the blame fell on the person with the disability so you're not helping that person because that person obviously knows that there are lots of anxious passengers out there who want to go home too and i can't only imagine how self-conscious she here in this case she may have been and you know just the, the stress 
that that causes that person and the airline through the whisper campaign was blaming that person i mean it's like you know that was my one i've had other experiences and i think people by and large totally understand but when when there's almost a covert effort to blame the person with the disability when it was your poor planning as the airline Mm -hmm. that led to this particular discomfort um washers i'm yeah, sorry, you go ahead. No, that, that's exactly where I was going to go, Tim, uh, because I, I'd like for, you know, the general population to have some understanding of what people with disabilities face there. Um, again, I, I spoke to my personal situation a few weeks uh, back last fall. My husband and I um, had the opportunity to go to San Francisco, and so we went. And, and uh, not a short yeah, flight, not a short no, flight. I've been no, there a bunch of times. All, it's right? a long flight. you got to go through Pearson or Montreal, sometimes L.A. It's a, it's a hard it's, trip for any. Anybody. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and so you're right. And it took us almost 24 hours uh, in each direction to actually complete the, the voyage, okay, the trip. So, um, and I booked the, the flights and I booked it a couple of months in advance, did my best to, you know, book the things that, that made sense for us. Mm-hmm. And um, on that trip, again, connecting it at Pearson uh, to run both, both ways. And um, on the four different aircraft that we traveled on, only one of those four airplanes actually had an accessible washer. That's shocking. And I, this morning, in preparation for this call, just kind of did a, you know, if I was going to do that today, would I have opportunity to actually have an accessible washer on flights? And I was unsuccessful in finding a flight that would connect me to, uh, you know, in, in with the same travel itinerary um, that had a, an accessible washer on the flight for me. So I, I would say if the general population were not able to avail of a washroom, would that mm-hmm. plane get off the ground? Not a chance in hell. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, again, you know, it's it's a piece of the, the planning and the thinking, but also the, I guess, the anxiety and the, how do I, as an individual, what happens if that flight is delayed? Where do I, you know, yeah. all of those things are real for me and for thousands of folks just like me. Um Another thing, too, when we think about it, Tim, we talked about the, you know, the, the pre-boarding call and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, most often, persons with disabilities are the first down and the last off. The last so, off, and it right? takes so long to get off a plane now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I almost always get off with the pilot. We follow them off the tarmac. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's there's... Go ahead. Sorry, Nancy. Uh, no, so I guess I just I appreciate the opportunity to communicate some okay. of that. But what we're looking at is equity. Mm-hmm. Equity is, is absolutely mandatory. And we have a population of people who are living longer. Many more people will have mobility disability because we have the, the opportunity to age now. Yep. So that's a wonderful thing. But that often brings with it disability. For most of us, walking does not get easier as we age, and many of us will acquire disabilities where that that length of travel is going to be more and more difficult, and these are things that are going to be realized more and more by people. Well, I really appreciate the the time you've given us today and and the chance for people to understand how it is to to live as you try and live and peers of yours who are working through physical disabilities and dealing with physical disabilities live. I hope, Nancy, if anything today, it it hopes raises some awareness and people push uh, outside of who are outside of your community for for equity. So thank you. Really appreciate it. 
can I just say one other thing? I, yeah, I sure. want to. I don't want to paint a negative picture of disability. I oh. am part of a very proud disability community. I'm very comfortable in my body and, and, and comfortable living. I just really want to share an understanding that there is opportunity for everybody in this world, in this community, but we need to recognize equity is needed to enable that. And any of us can be in that situation someday. Yeah. Many of us, I'm going to say most of us, acquire disability as we yep. age. And so I want to create a world or live in a world that is accepting of that and is helping us as we get there. All right. Well said. Thank you, Nancy. Appreciate your Thank time. Thank you. All right. That was a wonderful conversation with, with Nancy Reed and give us a, a lot of insight. I hope uh, you did get some because I certainly did. All right. Uh, Barry. Barry Fordham, line two. Uh, thank you for waiting. Barry. Barry's uh, part of sharing the harvest. Hunters donating um, uh, game meat. Barry and I talked last year. Also very informative conversation. What's going on this year, Barry? Hey, Tim. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, very, very glad to take it, and sorry, but as you can appreciate, that was uh, something, an uh, important conversation with Nancy. Yours is no less important, but I wanted to make sure we gave her a lot of uh, time to talk about issues we don't often think about. Absolutely, Tim, not a problem. I will say about the uh, about Nancy is that uh, the Coalition for Persons with Disabilities uh, donated uh, some moose meat to uh, Sharon Harvest last year. That's awesome. It is awesome. It is awesome. And uh, as well, uh, Tim, uh, I can't go into it right now, but we're also working together with the uh, Coalition Persons with Disabilities and the Disabled Hunter Program. Okay. Yeah, I remember we talked about that last year, and uh, that, that was fascinating to me. We, we did have a good chat about that, how people with disabilities still do have the, as they should, um, picking up Nancy's theme, the ability to go in and do what they love in terms of hunting, if that's something they love. Absolutely, and we're hoping to have good news on that now. Well, okay. maybe not this year, but for at the at the latest next year, or else you're going to hear me on the radio a lot. <laughs> well, we like having you on. So, what's going on this year? Yeah, so uh, Tim, we got Sharon Harris on the go, and we're up and running again. Uh, just this uh, last month, uh, we made uh, Caitlin donations to the uh, food banks, Bridges to Hope, uh, connections for seniors and uh, single parents. And just last week, now we, as you know, we also made a uh, donation of codfish to the three food banks as well. That's and fantastic. also, uh, Tim, uh, I'm getting some senior citizens calling me or PMing me through Facebook, and I've given them a couple of packages out like that as well. Uh, and uh, are people like, I mean, when you and I talked about it last year, too, and the thing that sticks out with me and is still true, um, the, the, the food you're giving is really healthy food. And what we've learned now with the challenges people are having with the, the cost of living is uh, always been true, but probably more pronounced now that they're, you know, people can, can only buy what they can afford. And often healthy food isn't something they can afford. But the food you're sharing with food banks and some terrible people have to go to food banks but it's healthy correct by and large yes absolutely it is free-ranging organic wild natural meat and fish and beer yeah. that brings to the next and now uh, blueberries on the next uh, agenda so when they ripen up uh, if we get some uh, financial donors then uh, we will uh, buy some more blueberries about five gallons of blueberries last year came broken down in packages and that and brought them off to the food banks Fantastic antioxidant, those blueberries. So, uh, Barry, how can people who are listening help? Yes, thank you, Tim. Um, 
you can go to our website, uh, sharingtheharvest.ca. Uh, we're, we're currently uh, fixing, rebuilding our website, uh, some, uh, make some changes in that to it. But, uh, or go to our Facebook page, and you can find out all the information there that you'd need. And my phone number is also there, so if you need some extra information or whatever, you can give me a call. Not guaranteed to answer the phone all the time, but you can give me a call. <laughs> well, sometimes you got to go out and harvest the food and solicit donations, right? So you got to do your work, too. Well, yes, that's right. And, Tim, uh, also on that note, I'd like to appeal to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador uh, to uh, consider making donations. Tim, we've us uh, hunters, foragers, fishers, anglers, we've all, we're used to sharing our hearts with family and friends. And now this gives us another avenue. And also, Tim, the advantage, another advantage, the unseen advantage of this program is that it it looks after uh, possible wastage or meager yeah. fish going out in the garbage as does each spring. And I'm not saying anything bad about nobody, Tim, but it, it does happen. And this program is a program that can address that and address the wastage. Yep, no, that, that that for sure is true, and that's long been a concern about uh, uh, in the fishing industry. And, and I'm not being critical of fishers, but uh, no. making sure that but that's where an area I know of it, u- utilizing it all. All right, Barry, anything else you want to quickly add before I go to break? Uh, yes, Tim. I just like to uh, say that uh, you know the, the it's so rewarding to bring the, this country food to the food banks and to hear the the stories that the food bank representatives have to say about how how their clientele feel when they come in and see something like codfish or capelin or berries or moose or caribou. It's it's truly very rewarding. I gotta say, and uh, you know this uh, this we're going into our third year now with the uh, with the uh, sharing the harvest and more and more people are starting to donate and it's slowly starting to catch on and with publicity it's catching on with more so we'd like to you know a message to the food banks get ready for the fall because you have to have a permit that is that is free of charge from the department of wildlife in order to accept the game meat moose caribou All right, uh, leave it there. Thing, Tim, is that, is that, oh, sorry, go ahead. That, yeah, one other thing, Tim, sorry, is that the uh, the, the moose, moose meat and caribou meat, we, we prefer to get it uh, done up in burger meat. Uh, we give the uh, food banks a warning uh, that they that they can give to, give to their clientele, and that is that some uh, moose meat may contain beef or pork fat in the burger meat mm-hmm. and that may go against some religious backgrounds or et- et- right. et- ethnic people okay perfect thank you barry thank you for waiting thank you for uh, what you're doing appreciate your time today jim thank you very much and it's always been a pleasure all right that's barry fordham from sharing the harvest we're running a little bit behind here but that's okay because we've had some awesome conversations gonna take a break and when we come back we've got kevin andrews with us Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. All right. Uh, We're going to thank Kevin Andrews for his patience. He's going to hang on for a moment because we have a pressing issue to speak to, and that's the... um, uh, the issue of the blue-green algae bloom in the Salmon Cove area. And we have the mayor, uh, Cavell Reynolds, on the phone. Uh, mayor, what's going on? 
Good morning, and thank you for uh, allowing me to time today to come on and speak with you guys. No problem at all. Elaborate a little bit there. I know you had a call there from one of our residents, and um, I would like to elaborate a little bit on uh, what what steps has been taken and what we're doing right now. Uh, We did have a public meeting on Wednesday night, and we listened to our residents and their issues and concerns, and there certainly are lots of issues and concerns there. Uh, we're not on here, or I'm not on here today, and our council and residents are on, not on here today to blame anyone. This blame is not on Victoria. This blame is not on Sam We are just looking for answers. And why we're looking for answers, we certainly have some concerns of why the other ponds in our area are not showing the same things as in our town. Our town is one welcome sign apart. We understand that algae can be caused by low water, high temperatures, sunlight, low flowing water. We understand that. That can happen anywhere. But we have ponds that are above the, the, the forest pond. And we have ponds that go right up to uh, the Swansea in Victoria. Okay. They have the same climate as us. The sun shines in the same communities. The temperature climbs mm-hmm. in the same communities. The rainfall is basically in the same communities. But yet these ponds, who also, and finger pointing has been done. We don't want that. Finger pointing has been done. Okay, there's possibly a farm up by the lagoon. Now there's possibly um, homes who have sewage systems uh, in the area. And we also have up in that area where I'm talking about called Job's Pond that have two farms up there. They have cabins up there with sewage systems. And all these sewage systems are provincially legal and inspected. And, I mean, that was done by government. But yet, up in those ponds, and with the same climate conditions and everything, there is nothing. The rocks are lovely, beautiful, you can walk out on. Mm-hmm. The rivers in Samacove are full of green moss. The rocks are. Our vegetation is growing in, in our rivers. And, Mr. Daly, we have a licensed salmon's river. We have Big Pond, which is normally known as the Fun Pond, where mm-hmm. we have uh, visitors coming in with their boats, their speedos, children swimming, picnics. And, of course, most and mainly important is our beautiful Samical Sands that attracts up to twenty to 40,000 people per year. Right. This bloom happened in 2021. It was extensive. We had many fish die. I can't say we really got any answers from it, except probably, uh, you know, the climate and, you know, they're saying that low water, high temperatures. I'm not saying you're wrong, but however, why is it not in the pond up at the head of our big pond where we got rivers coming down? Once again, the same sunshine there, the same temperatures, same water levels. So this is what we question. Yeah, so Mayor, as I understand it, and thank you for calling with the uh, the uh, this, the provinces monitoring this. Is there anything uh, you, you've made some really good points? Anything new today that you've learned, or you're still again waiting to get 
firmer answers on what could cause this and when you can return, when the pond can return to normal? Well, one of the things that we learned since yesterday evening is that we did have our report, they're doing daily reports. I also want to jump on the bandwagon here and say that both communities are working with uh, Service NL, Water Waste Resources, and all of our government departments, our MP and MHA, are also in on all the emails and what is happening. Since yesterday, okay. the report came out that there's no significant changes in the levels that are being monitored. However, we did learn yesterday that they are doing testing, that the testing has been done on the nutrients. Okay. And this is one of the things that we have been wanting to know since this all started. So okay. we are very glad to hear that this was done. It was done in Forest Pond. We're not sure what the results of that is yet. And I guess we won't know for a few days. This is where the issue is coming from. The nutrients are coming from somewhere. The high nutrients can cause the bloom. So okay. what we are asking, we want to know where the nutrients are coming from. We don't care where they're coming from. We just want to know so it can be fixed. So it can be fixed. Yeah, of course. That's it what you want to do. Fixed. You know, we got a lot to lose in chemicals. Now, the extent of the bloom is not so bad as it was in 2021. Yes, there has been four fish found dead. We don't know how many more or if there were any more. We don't even know how many fish was in the pond. So that's something we can't judge, you know. But as uh, speaking out for our council and residents, we are looking just for a simple answer. And if it's going to cost the government money to find those answers, well, you know, it's going to have to. Because okay. we need to know. And no, if, absolutely. If, 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 and I'm, I'm saying if, I'm, there's, like I said, there's no blame on the town of Victoria. There's no blame on Santa Claus. Both communities have to come together. And if, and I'm only saying if, without the results, we cannot determine nothing. If it is coming from the lagoon, as lots of people suspect, our, our communities have to lobby government to, to fix it. Because if not, you know, we're going to have an environmental state in a few years' time down in Samcourt. Yeah, no, for sure you are. All right, I got to leave it there, Mayor. Thank you for the update. Uh, please uh, call in as as you learn more. Uh, important issue, not just for Salmon Cove, but I think the people of the province are interested. Thank you for your time today. And I thank you for your time. All right, take care. All right, Kevin, you're going to hate me. We're going to take a break, and then you can have the rest of the time up until the news. I promise, and I thank you for your patience. Although, sorry, that sounded like Air Canada. I, I really do mean I thank you for your patience. Back in a moment uh, with Kevin Andrews here on VOCM's Open Line. Kevin Andrews, I am very grateful. Let me properly introduce you. Kevin Andrews is a technology teacher, computer systems administrator, an experienced podcaster and blogger on the latest digital trends. He's the CEO of a website design business. You can find him on Twitter or X at Kevin Andrews or read his blog at thedigitalteacher.ca. And today, Kevin, you win the most patient caller award. Thank you very much. No worries. I mean, every voice and every topic is just as important. Well, it, and it means uh, you can get your own uh, designation on X now, or we can put you on threads, whatever you want. How's, the, how's that? So, <laughs> Sounds good. Boy, 
<laughs> Sounds good to you. So there are a lot of people listening still probably are trying to figure out Twitter and trying to figure out chat GPT. Let, let's, because we're, we're going to talk about both. Let's start with Twitter, rebranded X, the the ego project, it would seem, of, of Elon. Fun fact for you, by the way, Kevin, that Elon Musk dated briefly one of my sister's roommates at Queens. And no if you way. get my, if you, he was at Queens briefly. And if you get my sister going on what he was like, it makes very much sense. The current, this makes all make sense to me. The, the challenges that we have. So uh, Elon calls his kid X. He like his Tesla's. He had a Tesla called X. What the hell's all this about? Explain this to us lay people. Why is Twitter being rebranded X or not being rebranded X? It seems to change by the moment. I mean, you know, it looks like Musk is is really, yeah, like you said, is really in a process of changing the entire brand and function of Twitter into something new and different. And like you mentioned, he's calling it X, and it looks as if, you know, he he wanted to build X.com uh, many years ago into sort of a super app, and he, he's been wanting to do this for a long time. I mean, Musk launched uh, the online bank X.com in 1999, I think. And okay. His original concept, yeah, his original concept was to sort of turn the website in sort of a one-stop everything store for all your financial needs. And so, you know, that company was eventually folded into what we now know as PayPal. And so Musk tried and he failed to bring sort of back that X name. So fast forward to today, and it now looks like uh, if this rebranding will be used for Twitter, uh, then even with a grander mission, I think he has. Now, you know, not too long ago, Musk tweeted, um, or I guess you can't say that anymore. Now I guess you got to say he exed or posted, right? Um, and so he just said, you know, in the coming months, uh, he's going to add comprehensive communications and the ability to sort of conduct your entire financial world into X, or as we know as Twitter today. So, uh, so it's interesting to see how something in his past is still creeping up today as well. Yeah, he's really legacy-minded about just about everything that he does, and fair enough, he's got the box that the rest of us don't have to pursue it. It was fascinating to me, just related to all of this, about some of the changes beyond the branding he's trying to make, and uh, he wants most people to get verified, or he did, because um, that affords you a status to read more tweets i gather or x's uh and and say more i was yeah. listening to a podcast that was uh, not yours sorry i was running the other day i listened to a lot of hockey podcasts and they were talking about <laughs> this very issue because i guess on one of the yeah. days that it happened it was the nhl trade or free agency at the beginning of july and you know a lot of the reporters were using it and people weren't able to read their tweets unless they were um were verified what's all that about kevin yeah, you know, I, I think it's really his his Elon Musk. You know, however he's thinking, uh, he's going to go with whatever he's thinking. And and I think for him, the almighty dollar may be the most important thing, even more than uh, keeping all of his, all of its users. So you know, uh, um, uh, the thing about it is, you know, um, if. Um, if you're familiar with the app called WeChat, have you ever heard of WeChat? Uh, I, I have more apps in my life because of all the millennials and Zs that I work with and I sure. care. I can't say that I have WeChat yet. I have uh, I have the other one. Um, uh, God. Anyway, it'll come to, me, come to me. WhatsApp. I have WhatsApp. Sorry. I have right WhatsApp. On, right on. Yeah. WeChat is really popular in China. And, and Musk made a comment not too long ago, and he said he liked 
how China rolled out and was using WeChat as sort of a Twitter plus PayPal plus a whole bunch of other things all rolled into one. And so now Musk, you know, isn't the only tech leader to sort of see the potential opportunity of what you would probably call a super app. I think that's where he's thinking. He kind of wants okay. this super app. I mean, Instagram has shopping. Um, you know, Meta yep. Pay uh, lets users send money over Messenger. TikTok is reportedly about to launch an e-commerce business. And Snapchat uh, made a run at offering apps within its app before it eventually dropped them. So, you know, uh, this seems to be the direction where Musk is heading with Twitter. And I think regulation are keeping a, a watchful eye on social media and technology companies than they used to. And so, you know, they might step in to prevent any one app from owning too much of your experience on the Internet. I mean, Musk's gamble here is that users will want a super app to handle everything that they do on the Internet. I'm not too sure that's what everybody wants to do. I mean, my sense is that people just want a safe place to talk about things like the Barbie movie or the World Cup. Yeah. Right. Twitter often doesn't feel like the best place to do that. Right Twitter now. and safe don't fit in the same sentence most often. <laughs> exactly. Right. So I, mean, I, I don't think adding banking is is really going to change many people's opinions. It's fascinating to me, right? And here I'll sound like the old curmudgeon, if people even know what that word means anymore, sitting in the one of the Muffets, Stalder and Wardoff, again, data, uh, data references. So I am just looking at my phone now. I've got, I've got TeamSnap for my son's sports, two of them. I've got Expensify for my expense report filing for my company. I've got Instagram. I've got Slack. I've got Teams. I've got Twitter. I've got WhatsApp. Uh, I've got t Twitter messages. I mean, oh. Oh my God Almighty! Like yeah. my phone is going to explode. Anyway, it's a disorganized. Mine is a disorganized mess, but so are so many other people. And a lot of this could be. I will not be the anti-technologist. You are the futurist. All right, quickly. Chat GPT. Shocking. Stanford scientists say it's getting stupider. Who would have guessed? Maybe that has something to do with the inputs. It's uh, depending. Uh, there's there's a version 3.5, which is free for everybody to use, and then there's a version 4 that's available for anybody who wants to pay $20 a month. And so uh, at the moment, I'm paying that $20 a month to try it out, test it out, to see the big difference. Um, um, and it's looking like version 4 sometimes is failing miserably using math. And uh, sometimes 3.5 is failing miserably when you ask it to generate uh, computer code to, to build websites. So, so there's a little ebb and flow, and there's a little bit of give and take between both versions. But um, these Stanford researchers really did their homework and, and really looked into this. And, and it absolutely seems like uh, ChatGPT is, is not as smart as what it used to be. Now, there's a lot of people <laughs> thinking about So mirroring society perfectly. Hey, Kevin, almost. <laughs> exactly, right? For sure. Right? I mean, you know, one reason for this decline in performance um, uh, could be that the company uh, OpenAI, uh, which is the company that owns ChatGPT, is trying to cut costs, all right? Or, or the issue could be sort of the radical redesign of this newer four, version four model. Who really knows? We're, we're not too sure. I mean, others speculate, you know, users are encountering more flaws and it just reflects the increased usage, uh, which will naturally uh, uncover more of its limitations over time. I mean, you know, it totally makes sense. I mean, the more you use it, the more you're able to uncover its limitations.
Yeah, uh, well, much like you know? human beings, you will discover our own limitations yeah. as we try to push them and do other things. All right, again, thank you for your patience. Uh, you can follow Twitter, Twitter. You can follow Kevin on Twitter or X or whatever the hell Elon's calling it today at, <laughs> at Kevin Andrews, and you can read his blog, uh, thedigitalteacher.ca. Thank you very much, Kevin. You Perfect. explained it to a Luddite like me, but I still am not adding any more apps. I'm over-apped in my life. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> All right. Take care, Kevin. Good to talk to you. All right. That was Kevin Andrews. Now we're going to go to line two just before the news. Uh, get Nick's thoughts on inflation. Nick, how are you? You there, Nick? Nick, how are you? you got to turn the radio off so I don't hear my awful voice coming back at me. Nick, how are you? you got to turn the radio on. Oh, sorry, buddy. Are you there, Nick? Are you good there now? Yeah, I'm good there now. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, yeah no, I just, uh, you know, I want to touch base on a few things. Like uh, here in Newfoundland, I noticed that, uh, you know, all the schools that we sold off to next to nothing to contractors, you know, this could have been a perfect uh, plan for somebody that knew what they were at to start making uh, low affordable housing. And especially for the immigrants that are coming in, they could have been making apartment buildings all over the place. And uh, instead, we got condos put up and uh, high rent to them and so forth. I mean, it's ridiculous that uh, you look out around now. I know some seniors, they're looking for apartments and uh, they can't get nothing for one bedroom. And there's a list of about 90 people per one. And these seniors got nowhere else to go, but, I mean, to get people to help them. And uh, basically, they're looking at about 1100 bucks a month just for rent. And they're on fixed pensions, and they can't afford them. So they got a choice, as they're being told, you know, to go to a shelter or go and pay the rent. That's there. There's no avenues to help them out whatsoever. You know, our provincial and federal government, instead of, you know, dumping money into uh, make work projects so you can say that unemployment rates are all gone down very low, putting some affordable housing up. We've got lots of land projects. We can put them in the make it low affordable housing. Yeah, it's a big issue. Uh, have people on fixed incomes, the cost of living, not having enough spaces to live. Uh, and it seems it was interesting. I was looking at um, uh, the uh, the federal electoral parties from the uh, policy platforms, excuse me, from the last election. And they're all saying yeah, housing, 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 but it moves so slowly. What else you got there, Nick? Uh, the other thing is we're talking about the climate. And, you know, uh, have you looked at the price of electric cars? A half ton. <laughs> yeah, they're not cheap. I'm being realistic. I was going to inquire about getting one, and mm -hmm. I drive a full-size SUV, Yukon Denali, and, uh, you know, I was looking at the half-ton pickups just to get a rough idea. A half-ton F-150 2024 is now retail base model electric, 125000 plus taxes, and that is out to lunch. Oh, it's. I have a hybrid, and I got a hybrid Jeep, and it uh, it's le it's it's significantly less than that, but it's you know it still costs more. In some ways, I'm seeing a bit of a benefit because I'm spending less on gas. However, I live in a major uh, urban center. You just said it right there. You're spending less on gas. Yeah, electricity is just the same. Yeah, it's interesting though. Um, but but at least I have the option, right? Uh, meaning it's. Yeah, I live in an urban That's center. 
But why would you switch if it's going to cost you yeah, yeah. $5,000 more for a truck? And with the price of everything else already, uh, the price of food's gone through the roof. Yeah. The price of getting anything has gone through the roof. You can't get a car apart. I mean, you know. Yeah, you're right on parts. No, but, but, but what I was going to say is um, the price of it aside, I, I, the, 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 only, it, it, the only way I could contemplate it is because I could get consistent charging in Newfoundland and Labrador. I'm, I'm reinforcing your point. In Newfoundland and Labrador, I mean, it's going to take a while uh, to get, you know, charging stations across the province. Uh, they, and They've got and that, them. Okay. They've got them. I've seen a lot of them. But okay, the good. Is, and they're not being used because there's not enough electric cars there. And the reason being is the price. You know, like Clifford hmm. Small said, you know, he's right mm-hmm. in the way, you know. Um, I agree with a lot of Clifford Snow and Edgar, you know, they need to look at the people. Yeah. Oh, and listen, uh, I was lucky I could afford mine. But to your point, uh, the, the, some of the prices are prohibitive. Uh, so if you want people to switch, you got to find a way. Everything just can't rise at the same time and there'll be less coming in for people. You're going to have the pain and the suffering that Cliff and others are talking about. If everything's rising and your income coming in is, is lessening and people are saying, well, you still have to do it, you still have to do it, that that's going to create a breaking point uh, among people. One main thing that we all got to understand, and this is what the liberals don't understand. Okay, Fury going around building houses, that, or building uh, hospitals for whatever it is, $100 million or whatever, that's low-income housing money right there. We don't need another hospital right now. Another high school down at Portugal Cove, we don't need that right now. Mm-hmm. And this is all stuff he's just doing to fancy around his own children. We'll be graduating in that school, I'd say, in the coming years. But the, 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 the other thing is that you're going to see a lot of things change here in Newfoundland, and I hope the people around the outskirts of uh, St. John's and further out understand it's time for change. The blue wave is coming. Clifford Small is just the beginning, and I'm telling you now, you're not going to see the Liberals. Justin is just going to be a, a mirror piece of history. And the well, Liberals, James Reagan, he ruined his name by joining that Liberal Party. I couldn't. I can't even look at him in a straight face without laughing. Oh, I mean, well, that's the worst I've ever seen. Like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little story. Hang on, Nick. We only got like 30 seconds, so tell it in 30 that's seconds. All takes, that's all it takes. Liberals were campaigning in my neighborhood. It's back when uh, they all had the masks and stuff on, and Seamus was hiding in the background. Uh, you had all the liberals trying to, for the local uh, provincials, and I was asking about the Green Report, and she was going on, and she was saying, well, this and that, and that, and this, and all I heard was the voice. I know Seamus's voice, and he said, there is no report. And I was like, geez, it's awful funny. You said there's no report, but all the other liberals are saying there is. And uh, anyway, he cut her off before she could answer it. And then I see him take his mask down. I said, Seamus, I said, you man, you guys are a bunch of fools. You will not get elected in this neighborhood. And they never got in. Interesting. All right, Nick, anyway, appreciate your – thanks for the call. Thanks for the passion. <laughs> I, I thought you were heading in that direction. All right, Nick, thank you for the call. Take care. Take care. All right. Uh, pretty passionate uh, fellow there. Uh, not a lot of time for the Federal Liberal Party, as you heard. All right. What you can now hear is the news uh, here on VOCM. Back with you shortly. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration, shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. 
Welcome back. All right. It's the Battle of Regattas. We're going to talk to Jordan Brown now, MHA in Labrador West. Who wants to talk about the Labrador West regatta? We always all think us townies. The only regatta that matters is the one down on the pond. Jordan, you got a different view, do you? No, the one the one that matters is the one down on the lake. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Go one. ahead. That's the, yes. No, it's great to talk to you again, Tim. Uh, no, today is uh, Lab West regatta, so uh, you know, uh, ours are all different. We got five seats on Fort Lauderdale, like the fixed seats in St. John's, but nevertheless, I uh, I still enjoy it, and uh, it's great to have uh, we have a huge crowd here uh, for the Wabash Come Home uh, Week. So you know, we had over 400 people come to town uh, to uh, rekindle old friendships and stuff here in Wabash, and now we got the regatta on the go. So it's uh, the fantastic time here in my west. Yeah, I just uh, just on that. How long has it been going on, Jordan? In in Today, terms of years. So today is the 51st running. No way. Uh, yes, yeah, 1072. So this is uh, so this is the 51st running. Um, so you know it's a big crowd here. Uh, uh, one of the founding members is still involved, uh, Clarky. He's still uh, he's still there, and he's still uh, he's still uh, there with his stopwatch. So we're uh, it's his 51st anniversary of being a member of the uh, of the Lab West Regatta Committee, and it's the 51st running. And uh, big come home time, as you said. How I'd, I'd love to know because I know how hard it is to get to to the island. How hard has it been for people to get back to Wabash? I mean, you do in some part, yes, have a driving option, but I mean, uh, what are the stories you're hearing about people getting back? They're obviously passionate. They're working at getting back, but uh, I mean, just a very quick comment or comment on you know air travel in your neck of the woods. Air travel, uh, it's always been a struggle at the best of times. Uh, but now, so more so now that we, you know, there's only uh, some like interprovincially within the province. We only have one airline flying up here. Uh, you know, it's only PAL. And, you know, it's gotten extremely expensive. Uh, you know, we're looking at almost, uh, in some cases, $2,000 for a, a round trip. And, and you know, and, and as a place like Lab West, you know, we're getting multiple flights a day. Um, you know, there's a lot of workers coming off. There's a lot of activity on the go. And yet we're still, you know, we're looking at two, like $2,000 a round trip for someone. And it, get, it gets tough. So you got a lot of people that, uh, you know, some people come back to Wallace now who flew. And, you know, uh, they're dedicated because they wanted to come back. But, you know, at the same time, it, it, you know, you're all pensioners. So this is, uh, you know, this is an expensive little journey for them. And it's unfortunate that this is what they've come to. Um, and, but a majority of people, actually did drive up from the island so uh they, down that road like i said it's all paved now uh right from st john's right to lab city uh so you know from one of the problems right to the other end it's all paved now um but Good. at the same time you know it's it's expensive it's, it's a hard drive and so, so the 400 plus people that came up and registered and all that they were dedicated they wanted to come home and they came home yeah, that's the one thing I notice about um, the Labrador portion of the province, the Labradorians, and you, you know my history there in Goose Bay. Like they, they, uh, people will fly home to the island, but, man, they'll work even harder to get to Labrador if they're from Labrador. Um, and they'll overcome the, 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 the travel challenges, be they by land, air, or sea, uh, to, uh, to get there. All right, anything else you want to add quickly, Jordan? Because I'm sure you've got to go work the constituents at the regatta. <laughs> Absolutely. So first of all, I'll just for your comment on that, um, I'll always say this, uh, Jim. Every Labradorian has been to the island, but not every person from the island has been true. to the island. True. Absolutely so, true. And, and so this is the thing. So I always, every time I, I got the opportunity, I say, come visit Labrador. 
It's an amazing place. It's like no other place on this on this planet. And I'm, I'm sure you'll leave wondering when your next trip back. That's one thing I'll say. And the second thing I'll go is, uh, you know, it's it's come home here. Uh, you got I gotta say to this. Um, a huge shout out to the uh, the small but money committee that put all this together. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of happy former Wabash residents are wandering around here now. Um, they're, they're happy to be back. And I just want to let you know that the committee put a lot of heart and soul into this project, and they did a fantastic job. And it, like I said, now they had Dorena Harvey play last night. Regatta today. Um, there's a vendors fair tomorrow, and then it's the unfortunate the part that nobody likes the goodbyes. So yeah. I uh, I want to give a shout out to them. They did a fantastic job. All right, good on you. Good on everybody else doing that. These events and festivals are so important in summers because they bring people together in a positive environment and they just build uh, ties that bind. Thanks, Jordan. Have a good day. No, take care, Tim. Take care. All right, Jordan Bradley, MHA for Labrador West, about the Labrador West regatta. Okay, uh, you know I love talking sports, and particularly have loved talking about the Women's World Cup. Now we're uh, lucky to have another top uh, soccer player from this province, Zoe Rowe, uh, fourth-year striker with the Munn Seahawks, uh, to talk about the World Cup and, and the Munn Seahawks. Zoe, how are you? Hi, how are you? Uh, well, I'm 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 grand now, boy. Who would have guessed? Canada versus Oz, and whoever wins advances. Whoever loses goes home. Given the upset that Nigeria pulled off over Australia, uh, are you anxious? What do you think is going to happen on Monday with that game? I'm definitely anxious. When that news came out, it definitely put Canadian fans on their toes. But I do believe that Canada can pull out the win. Um, They really showed in the second half against Ireland what they can do. And Canadian fans and uh, young girls can really see that these girls are a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, they're just such impressive athletes. They're also well-spoken. They're also passionate. And we don't have the time to get into it today, but I love the advocacy that they're unafraid to do, whether it be about pay equity and other challenges that they've they've dealt with, because it, it almost seems as though, and you're a university student, you all understand about advocacy and and, and making, um, making people understand why you need to change policy in some places, but it almost seems that they accept that part of their soccer life as being equally as important as winning a World Cup. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, as you can see, that this this team is so successful. They just came off a win at the Olympics with a gold medal, which is absolutely incredible. And the fact that they even have to really worry about this in the first place is a little questionable. But I'm I'm thankful to have these role models that are able to stand up for mm-hmm. themselves, aren't afraid to uh, have their voice heard. Um, it's really really inspiring for a lot of young girls uh, and Canadian players as well. So um, I'm thankful to have those role models. Yeah. As you look at your own trajectory, so your fourth year, you could, I guess, you, yeah, you still have a fifth year eligibility of eligibility if you wanted it. What do you hope to do with soccer as you're in your latter years of playing um, uh, youth sports soccer? Yeah, so I actually have uh, two more years of eligibility after this one. um, Oh, do you? Okay, yeah. Right, because you lost a COVID year. Sorry, my bad, of course. Oh, all good, all good. So I'm kind of in the middle of my my, uh, career right now, but I'm looking forward to uh, potentially maybe play in Ontario. That's my next goal Mm -hmm. uh, to play one I strive 
I'm always looking for the next goal. Um, I really look forward to this season coming up with uh, Seahawks. We are a very competitive team this year. We are our preseason starting a little early this year. We're going to uh, Quebec. Uh, oh, are you? Play. Okay. Yeah, we're going for our preseason. We're going to be playing some pretty com- fierce competitors like Concordia and McGill to prepare for the AUS season coming up come September. Uh, I, I asked this uh, with no political agenda other than disclosure. I just recently joined the, the MUN Board of Regents. One of the things I always found very fortunate for me at MUN, I was on one of the first MUN rugby teams, and we won a, a provincial championships there. In, in my day, we were just, you know, MUN was beginning to spend a bit more money on athletics. How is the, from your perspective, just as an athlete who competes for the university, and that's a wonderful achievement in and of itself, how is the investment in, in athletics at, at Memorial looking these days? Um, so the we uh, I think the girls soccer team are fairly lucky as we are pretty successful like in the last couple of years we've been like on the top of the league we've been we came first in the league in the last two years ago which was really great achievement and that reflects like the uh, the money that goes towards us I will always say I think that uh, women's soccer could use yep. a little bit more fun, especially with like at high levels like Canada soccer. But with uh, with the Seahawks, I I want to say I'm pleased, but there's always there's always improvement for successful teams like us. Yeah, and in sport, the the need for investment increases because as we're learning in in sport too, there's so much more we have to do than just um, you know well-meaning coaches and trainers. We need people to provide psychological support. We need people to continue to train people about EDI and respect and safe sport. And those things are real investments that not just Memorial, but everybody needs to make for their teams to create a, a better, a safer, and more productive playing environment because the happier athletes are, the safer athletes are, the better they're going to perform. So before you go, i got to ask you the same question I asked Holly. Um, and that is, and, and it, it's along these lines, you know, some people may be listening to us today and saying, oh, it's, it's the Women's World Cup. We know Canada is good, but we're still of the view we don't necessarily want to watch women's sports for whatever reason. Blow them out of the water, and I'll back you. Tell them why they should watch. Um, so not only are these women just incredible uh, leaders in Canada, they all have their causes, like such mm-hmm. as and Christina Quinn, yeah. Claire. Yeah, these girls, these these um, players, sorry. In, in, yeah, that's okay. For um, Canadian soccer, but as you can see, like if anyone watched the Ireland game, mm-hmm. they they gave up a pretty early goal, and it was pretty tough to watch, and it was a really um, it was a struggle to finish on the opportunities. But when they came back in the second second half, we were we were shown their true resilience, how much they can really overcome struggle. And I think that's like really a transferable skill for not just soccer but just life in general. And you can see um, the skill and the strength that these women show. And I think it's something that that a lot of people can learn from. I back you 100% on that. They demonstrate character. They demonstrate class and humility, which is so rare in so many sports today, particularly at high-level male soccer, as uh, as we know, um, among the superstars. But uh, they're, they're first class. Uh, so are you. Good luck this season. Thank you for representing the university, and uh, we'll all be watching on Monday. And let's beat the stuffing out of those Aussies got to get together and cheer on Team Canada because they are definitely a force to be reckoned with. 
All right, go Canada, go, and we'll we'll be talking about that on Monday morning because it's on when we're on. It's on 6 a.m. Eastern, 7.30 in Newfoundland and Labrador. All right, Zoro, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Take care. Uh, there you go. Um, and as I said, so proud of our Canadian women. Uh, Zoe sounds like a top-notch representative of, of her team and the university. And, you know, I'm going to plug my niece again, going to the Youth Commonwealth Games, playing for Canada in rugby. Um, women's sports are sports, and they are awesome. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. I think we'll be back with you, Eliza, when we come back. All right, Eliza, hang tough there for a minute, please. I'm going to ask for your patience. Uh, we're going to take a call from the RCMP just to get an update on the search for Tony Farrell. So I'm now going to talk to Glenda Power, uh, RCMP Director of Strategic Communications. Glenda, how are you? I'm good, Tim. It's nice to speak with you. Nice to speak with you. Um, you heard Merv Wiseman on earlier. Perhaps you didn't, but I'm sure you've, you've gotten the synopsis of it. Uh, I, did, I did hear the comments, okay. yeah. Uh, before we get to Merv, what, what is the update on the search for, for Tony Farrell? So right now the investigation is continuing. Uh, police are following down every piece of new information, uh, tips uh, that come their way, which is what we were doing in Goose Cove last night. The public can expect further updates, um, you know, as they are warranted. Uh, they may see a, a continued police presence in that area or other areas, depending on where our information leads us. So, you know, the commitment of the RCMP is to keep the communities involved safe and to take Mr. Farrell into custody peacefully, and we also commit to communicating quickly and often when there's new information to share, which we've done so far this week. And, 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 and unlike some of the uh, things that were unearthed in the Mass Casualty Commission report, appreciating different circumstances and jurisdiction, but there's um, a, di a different uh, province, well, mm -hmm. also jurisdiction, yeah. um, you're using radio. One of the criticisms about that in that report was the RCMP didn't use radio to the extent that they could, and you and I both know local radio, not just blowing BOCM's horn, but is it pretty important in this, uh, in this province? So th what are the channels you were using to tell... Newfoundlanders and Labradorians about this search, Glenda? Uh, so in terms of our channels, we are using multiple ones. So um, we have uh, a ton of followers on our social media channels, so obviously that's an important way for us to communicate. So our CMP Newfoundland and Labrador Facebook page and Twitter, we're using that. We're also posting updates on the RCMP Newfoundland and Labrador webpage, which anyone can find by Googling. Um, we also send updates direct to uh, newsrooms for all mm -hmm. media outlets and, and any reporter who's on our distribution list. Uh, and so it's really a comprehensive approach. When police uh, feel that there's an imminent threat, imminent and credible threat to public safety, then an alert ready will yes, be issued. Right. But then and only then. So, so Tim, as an example, like last night in Goose Cove near North Harbor on the Bjorn Peninsula, um, our police officers were following up on information they received that Mr. Farrell might possibly be in a residence in that small area. Uh, they quickly contained the area. Um, 
And, you know, through direct communication with me and my unit, we got out the word as soon as possible so that people will be aware, first of all, that, okay, there's police out there and, and here's what's happening. Um, it would be really inappropriate for us yeah, to request an alert ready is- be issued every time we're following up on new information. Uh, it would likely get to the point where people start ignoring alert readies. And when, but when we do issue one, we also include in the message, be sure to follow RCMP and L, Facebook, Twitter, web, whatever, for updates because that's where the the updates will come. Alert Ready is not going to have um, the, the volume of information that we will provide to the public. So it's really important to follow all of those channels and just rest assured that the RCMP will ensure responsible use of the Alert Ready system when it's warranted. And we feel if there's an imminent and serious threat to public safety, you can count on us using that, but we're going to use all our other channels as well. And I, I just responded to someone on our social media who said, hey, I didn't even get the alert ready on my phone, right? Uh, and some phones don't get it, and, and unfortunately, the RCMP has no control over that. So mm-hmm. I, nope. I encourage the individual to talk to her service provider, but that's why all the other channels are just as important as well. Okay. Just in, in general response to Merv, uh, yeah. I, I, if I can take from the, the, the commentary that he made, I guess his com- question was, is everything being done that can be done to keep people safe, not just inform them? I know you wouldn't want to speak about very specific policing operations now because right. Farrell could be listening on yeah. the, uh, to the radio. Yeah. But can you say to Newfoundlanders and Labradorians with confidence, Glenda, that everything that can be done is being done and can you say that are you comfortable saying that I'm absolutely comfortable saying that I uh, work with incredible police officers and incredible teams with exceptional expertise and training, not just for frontline policing. As we know, plenty of our police officers work in communities throughout the province, but for those incidents where we also need specialized tactical response, right? Um, I mean, in in Swift Current, we, we had drones up in the air. We had our police service dog and his, his uh, human partner there for tracking purposes. Uh, We had our detachment uh, uh, frontline police officers complemented with further resources so that they could ensure that um, if if there's a threat there, which it was felt there was, and we acted on it, then we were going to contain that and ensure that we protect the public as quickly and as safely as we possibly could. Unfortunately, our goal of bringing this to a safe conclusion quickly has not occurred yet. Mr. Farrell continues to evade police, and we really urge anyone with information on his whereabouts to call 911. And I just want to say to Mr. Farrell, to Tony himself, you know, no one wants this to keep going. I'm sure your loved ones don't, and we don't, and the communities are becoming fearful. I urge you to turn yourself in, and and let's work with us, work with the police to bring it to a safe conclusion. Yeah, I, I think we would all echo that, and, and I think, as Merv did, to his credit, Glenda, I think it's important to say thank you to your officers. Uh, we For want sure. them to stay safe. Um, yeah. Police have been given a hard time, uh, in my view, unjustly over the last number of years, mm-hmm. uh, and they do work that 
and none of the rest of us do to keep us all safe. So thank you for the call. Please pass on uh, those wishes to your, your officers who are doing uh, good work in the field to apprehend Mr. Farrell. I certainly will, Tim, and, and I know the kind words would be very much appreciated. But we don't mind uh, answering questions either, right? We want to be open, uh, as open as we can, and to reassure the public on, on what's happening with respect to this situation. All right. I appreciate you calling today. Thank you. Glenda Power, RCMP Director of Strategic Communications. Thanks, Glenda. Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Uh, Liza, you are next after the news. I pinky promise and swear time for a news break here on vocm's open line get lost in the music of legendary artists like elton john the beatles and more join claudette barnes every sunday from 12 to 1 p.m and relive fond memories through the power of music with sunday melodies on your vocm welcome back last 20 odd minutes of this program 22 so actually even minutes eliza thank you i keeping my pinky promise uh thank you for your patience you you have been waiting um you want to talk about a few different things why don't you go ahead please okay i just want to talk briefly about a few things uh but just because it's brief (laughs) doesn't mean they're not important exactly this is those are very serious matters and the first thing i want to talk to talk about is uh The blood work that's being done for uh, cancer patients, a lot of our cancer patients over the past, I don't know how long, have been going to GB Cross Memorial to get their blood work done on Mondays, going back on Wednesday for their treatments. And it was questioned, uh, like, why can't they get their blood work done in Bonavista? So they were told various reasons why. I won't get into that. So this is in Clarenville. GB Cross is in Clarenville, is it? Yes, it is. And uh, But anyway, between the jigs and the reels, people asking questions, now some of them are getting their blood work done in Bonavista and then going to Clarenville for the chemo on Wednesday. Now... That should never have happened in the first place. And if I had to tell you what was said to those patients, I've got to tell the truth. Over the past year, I do not have words mm-hmm. to describe what has happened to the people on the Bonavista Peninsula. We feel like a forgotten uh, crew that we don't matter. What happens down here does not matter. So anyway, those officials who's, who's listening to this, this blood work should not have happened in the first place to go to Clarenville, and it has to stop. People going to Clarenville, it's bad enough when you, when you don't have cancer. Mm-hmm. But a cancer patient to have to go over the road twice when they didn't have to go twice, it could have been once. The first time going, if you've got a, a talk with your doctor, that's a different thing. But yep. when you're continually going, and most of the time it's for no good reason. Now, we have other problems with blood work mm-hmm. as well. I won't get into that, but right okay. now it's a very serious matter for our cancer patients to have to go. Okay. Now, the second thing I want to mm-hmm. say, I want to just ask, I wanna, uh, ask a question out there for those who have loved ones elsewhere in the province who require nursing home and they're elsewhere in the province waiting to come to Bonavista. And that's all I'll say about that because there's something wrong with that picture. We're gone back, I'm gone back 25 years and I can't believe what has not changed. 
it's more than shameful. And you know something? Accountability and change needs to really happen. Now, I, I'm saying this, like you, you don't probably have any idea really what I'm really getting into. But other people out there, they know, and okay. they're the ones who can change it. And okay. when and okay, so I'll say that. And now I want to talk about Rome Alert. Now I'm not familiar with a lot about it, and nor is the staff in the nursing home which this is supposed to be implemented. But I did happen to go to a meeting, okay. and. Anyway, there was no discussion on it. There was no questions because there were no answers to be given. But the bottom line is goes something like this. There's a wing to be used as a wing where mild dementia patients. Now, I'm not 100% accurate, but this is the gist of it. Uh, mild dementia patients who are ambulatory right. can be on this wing and integrate it with those who cannot get out of their beds. Some can get out and in the wheelchair. Uh, no, what they can't get out, they got to be put in the wheelchair. They got to be okay. Yes, but the majority of them are in bed. Some of them would never be able to sing out for help or use the buzzer. And we're told that um, there's going to be a bracelet on uh, the wanderers. Arm, and okay. when they get close to those two double doors, the bracelet... It will go off. The door, no, the door will lock. The door will lock, okay. The door is not locked initially. Okay. And family members are very concerned, and the more I think that they think about this, it's like... It's all from the top again. It's always from the top. We're going to do this. You're going to come into their home. Yeah, tell them how to live. And spring this on them. Well, I think that, um, well, we're, we're going to try to set up a meeting with somebody who needs to come to Bonavista, talk about um, why you're doing this, how you're going to do it, um, what are the implications? Do you have everything worked out? And then take questions from and concerns from the, uh, the family members of the residents that are there. Okay. So they, uh, it blows my mind. <laughs> to It really does. Like, I, I, am, I have never been so disillusioned and baffled and mind-boggled. And I can't find the words. And you, you know, Eliza, I, I would say this. Uh, it's funny you say that. I, uh, my mom, who uh, will kill me, but I, I always joke. She, she's a she's in her eighties, and yeah. she's able-bodied, and she still lives at home. But she has long observed. It hasn't been a recent phenomenon that when people move into LTCs, despite maybe the best intentions of the people yeah. that are there, they're not often treated with the respect and care and concern they deserve. It's almost as if they've lost their humanity and they're not seen as a human being and are seen as just somebody, you know, a commodity. I, I'm not... And now I think you're saying something similar. All right, I got to give you, you got one more minute because I got to take a break and get a few more callers in. I think you got another issue you wanted to touch on. Okay, well, I just want to mention about the condition of that nursing home. Okay. It is deplorable. It is cold, and I mean, well, one wing, when you walk down, the atmosphere is draining. It makes you feel like you're worthless. 
Yeah. And I'm not exaggerating. You I, know, I, I can't I even. Don't... I wish I could yeah. exaggerate because yeah. I can't even get that. Anyway, you know what? I've got to say one more thing about the okay. the system, the heating system, the air conditioning, the lack of air conditioning, the fans in the hall, the people in the beds, the sun pouring in the window, and nothing has been. I don't, nobody paid attention. We looked like we were forgotten, neglected. I'm going to use the word neglected because it is total neglect, and I don't. I'm dumbfounded. But it's okay because, like you said at the beginning about patience, yep. I got the rest of my life. Under the no, seriously. You know, you're right though. If you if you're willing, as you are, as you say, to 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 because there there's some tough fight, fight fights to be had, but good oh, for you. They're going to be fought and they're going to be won. And I want to say something about heat. And I'm not saying this in a bad way or a mean way, but I want to say it. There's two kinds of heat. I just talked about the sun and that. But there's another kind of heat right now that's in our people. Mm-hmm. We are heated up, yep. and there is no cooling us off. So whoever's out there listening, they better listen to our pain, our mm-hmm. grief, our, our forgottenness, our, 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 the dignity of our people, and like you said, what are they? A commodity? Are they nothing? Yeah. They are human beings who deserve far more. So if they're going to spring something on those people and the family members, then we're going to spring something on them. That's not an eye for an eye. That's, we need to no, teach no, each other lessons sometimes. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned in politics. Anyway, you know I what? agree. I'm getting I got... like to, I said this before. <laughs> I, get, I start to get rambunctious. <laughs> but anyway. Well, you're... you're... You're passionate, and that's okay. I appreciate the call, and they're very important issues. Thank you, Eliza. Thank you for waiting. Uh, It was well worth the wait for us. I hope it was for you. Oh, it definitely was. Thank you very much. All right. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. I have two callers in the queue. We will get to you both shortly. I just ask if you can kind of do it in two and a half, three minutes when I get to you. That will be awesome. Time for our last break here on VOCM's Open Line. All right. Last few minutes of Open Line. we got about eight minutes or so. Uh, we have two callers waiting. I'm going to go to the first one. Um, it's an, uh, described as anonymous, a single dad. Uh, as of this coming Monday, he's going to be locked out of his rental unit due to landlord's legal issues. I would just ask the caller not to name the landlord on the air. We do not want you to get sued uh, or enable um, our own uh, lawsuit against us. So with that said, go ahead, sir. Um, Tell us what's going on. Uh, Appreciate your time. Appreciate your time getting me on. Um, well, thank you for your patience. It's been uh, a lot of a uh, lot of different but important subjects this morning, but yours is is equally of value. So please go ahead. Thank, thank you. It's a very time sensitive matter. I won't get into all the details. I know you don't have a lot of time there today, but uh, the, the the basic gist of it: my landlord is notorious in the city for committing fraud and wrongfully evicting tenants and. All sorts of things. Anyhow, that's not important for me today. What is important for me is I'm a single dad. I have two kids. I got a nine-month-old little kitten. Listed by the Supreme Court and the sheriff that I'm out on the street come 5 o'clock on Monday. The locks get changed by the sheriff. I've done nothing wrong. I'm a hardworking, do the best my family. And I don't understand how the legal system can... 
have someone commit fraud and an innocent family is displaced because of it. And because of the housing crisis in Metro right now, and the time of the year, I guess, with all the students moving back into the city, the availability of apartments and the affordability of some units that are available are, are just not doable. And I'm in a situation right now where I've got a storage locker rented, I've got a U-Haul rented, I've just spent $1,100 in the last two days just to be able to store my stuff, and I'll have it out by Monday. But my issue is where are me and my kids going to sleep come Monday? And I've contacted my MHA, I've contacted my member of parliament, I've reached out to various community groups, and nobody's called me back. And I understand people are busy, and I'm just another person who's out there struggling, and it's more than just me. But my situation is so time-sensitive, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what direction to go in. I, I need help. And if anyone's out there listening, if you rental property, a two- or three-bedroom, I don't care, basement apartment, I don't care what it is. If someone can help me, help my kids, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, it's just so frustrating when you, yeah. you, you've done nothing wrong and, and you're, you're the victim here, you know? Is there, and I'm sure you've thought of this, but I'll just say it anyway, because you clearly have a lot on your plate, uh, and you're clearly you're trying to do the best for your family. Uh, there, there's not, there's no, uh, nothing under the what would be, I would call it the Landlord Tenant Act that gives you some leeway here to to preserve y- your place or prevent eviction. Yeah, no, unfortunately, I've, I've battled this. Uh, I had a court hearing this past Monday at 10 a.m. Um, in the Supreme Court, and the ruling was seven days. That's all they could give me under the circumstances. It's a it's a unique situation. Okay. Again, I've I've got a fraudulent landlord who has some issues, and um, yeah. So here, here we are. I, I've battled it legally. I thought Landlord Tenancy Act, you, you know, get even squatters rights something. You know, ninety days, thirty days, something. But I was given seven days, and I'm on the street. My locks were changed by the sheriff on Monday. And I've scrabbled. I've contacted every single availability of any properties, condos, apartment buildings, Newfoundland Labrador housing, everyone, my government officials. And uh, every door I knock on, it, there's nothing. Okay. And, I, don't, uh, I don't know what, 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 what to do about this. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're calling. Uh, you'll know this audience is very uh, uh, strong in, in helping people, and my producer will have your number and know how to contact you. So to your plea, uh, if you can help this person, please do so. The, the last question I'd, I'd, I'd have and it would be a concern of mine, and again, I do not know your family circumstances, and if I'm overstepping, I apologize, and you don't have to answer the question, but um, if you have two, you're a single dad with two children, one assumes this could have a negative impact on your custody arrangements if you have any of them, if you don't have lodging for your two children. Are you concerned about that, or does that apply here? Uh I've, I have that communicated. I think I'm okay in that okay. scenario for right Good. now. Um, I, I'm, I'm just looking for a basic shelter right now for, for me and my okay. kids. I, I don't want to have to end up having to go down to, with all due respect, like the gathering place and have my kids sleeping on cots in a situation yep. like that. I, that. We're going through enough stress as it is, and I just, we need a place. Yep. I hear you, sir, and I hear your pain. I, yeah. Uh, I, I'm sorry you're in the circumstances we're in, and I'd, I'd say in the few minutes that we have left, and of course you can call after 12 o'clock, our, our VOCM people will 
be able to direct you if you can help this gentleman out. And, sir, if you want to call us on Monday or Tuesday with an update, uh, happy to have it, um, happy to get it, and hopefully there is a happy yep. update you can give us. But, and uh, we'll and then I'm, I'm very desperate right now, and I'm an open book, and if it's okay, I don't mind giving my first name and my phone number right now. If people can contact me directly. Yeah, that's I, fine. I'm, Go ahead. Uh, my, my name's Cal, C-A-L, and my number's 709 Three two five seven six one nine. So that's three two five seven six one nine. Anyone out there can help me and my kids. I prefer to your debt. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Cal. Good luck to you, sir, right. and your family. Thanks for getting me on, Tim. You're welcome. All right. You hear the pain in Cal's voice. Uh, if you can help him, uh, please give him a call. Oh, I think we have Dave Kane left. Dave, I got about a minute and a half for you, uh, not to take away from the importance of your subject. Go ahead. Uh, good morning, Tim. Thanks for getting me on you and Dave. Uh, uh, Tim, the public is invited to visit the Cancer Care Garden of Hope at the back of the Sir Thomas Roddick Hospital in Stephenville this Sunday, July the 30th, from 2 to 4 p.m. There will be prizes, prizes, cancer care caps, snacks, and bottled water given out. There will all also be music from 2 to 4. Please, please bring a chair if you have one. Just follow the pink balloons when you turn into the hospital. Well, you deliver. I can give you 30 more seconds. What um, What are you hoping to achieve, uh, Dave? Raise some money to uh, no, protect? No, uh, uh, we're just two volunteers, myself and Rosie Keats. And okay. enough hope was put there by the Cancer Care Foundation and by That's Newfoundland Power for our patients and the hospital and the public to enjoy. So we're we're going to have an opening. Well, not opening, but it's been there for years. But we've been a volunteer for the last three years looking at, after this beautiful garden of hope. All right. Well, I, I, I hope people can turn out, and good on you uh, and, and your colleague for looking after the garden, and uh, uh, we hope you, uh, you get the crowd you need on, uh, on Sunday. Thank you, Dave. And thank you very much, Tim. Bye. All right. Bye. Wow, what a show. Uh, we started off talking about humanity, and we're ending with humanity, the cancer care garden, but more importantly, uh, or equally important, uh, the, the call from Cal. Uh, hard not to be struck by that and the circumstances that he's in. We started with uh, talking about uh, Gemma Hickey and what they have done and continue to do to fight against hate and uh, and uh, discrimination and prejudice. Um, boy, as we head into this last week in July, a lot to think about, a lot of ways to help uh, a lot of people who need help. And equally importantly, an important time maybe to enjoy a weekend with family, friends, to have a time of reflection and to get ready uh, for that big soccer game on Monday. Uh, we will be talking about it here because it will be bleeding into our show and hopefully the uh, there won't be any bleeding by the Canadian team and they will perform well. Uh, Dave Williams is somebody who's performed well with me and with Patty. Thank you, Dave, for everything this week, making the show hum. Thank you to you, the listeners, the callers. Again, uh, it is so awesome to be here and to sit in this chair. It's always an honor and a privilege from the Prime Minister to you. Uh, everybody calls the show and it makes it what it is, a special place for the, what, the biggest conversation in Newfoundland and Labrador. Enjoy your weekend. I'm Tim Powers, back with you Monday and Tuesday with more Open Line. For now, take care.